ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for this latest episode of the INC Show. My name is Carl Bainbridge and I am joined as ever by my co-host, the Abbot to my Costello, the Ant to my Deck, the Reeves to my Mortimer. It is Mr. Clay Richardson, you know him better as Uncle Joey MMA. Clay, thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure to be here. Glad I got a full night of sleep so I can uh, be tentative for this. Got a great card coming up. Because what will the time be around in the um, in over in Canada? Oh, it's just like 2.40 right now in the afternoon. Well, that's going to be quite difficult for me because we're coming up to about 8 o'clock and looking at the card that we're going to cover, we've got about nearly three hours worth of MMA to talk about. So I am going to be absolutely knackered by the end of this. But considering how much um, sport we've been having to cover over the course of this week and we've got a card coming up on Saturday, it's... It's part and parcel of the job. Punishing work, <laughs> just watching MMA for a living. Yeah, it's going to be very, very tough, but we can definitely do it. We've got lots of uh, stuff to talk about. Certainly so. And while we will be talking about everything that's been happening over the past week, uh, a recap of UFC 251, looking at the uh, Calvin Cater Dan Ige card, also previewing Davison Figueredo versus Joseph Benavidez, the flyweight title will be up for grabs in that matchup. So we'll be looking at those three cards in a lot more detail. And when we're not doing that, we'll be talking about some of the stories happening in the world of mixed martial arts, as well as the main reason we are here, which is UFC 112. We like to do these classic rewatches time and again, a bit more casual than what we normally do on this show. This time it's just we get ourselves a couple of drinks, we chill out, very casual conversation, and we enjoy a little bit of MMA in the background. Now, when I put forward to Clay, it was Clay's choice for what card we were going to cover because I chose UFC 199 first off. And could have picked anything. I could. You could have picked absolutely anything. And when he picked UFC 112, I thought, what's the reason he's chosen this? And then Clay, I'll let you explain in a bit more detail why because I have to say it's a fantastic choice when you think about it. When you think about it, it was the the original Yaz Island is the original Fight Island card, and uh, it's pretty much very similar to what we saw, a very controversial uh, main event, and then an extremely controversial uh, co-main event, very similar to what happened with Holloway versus Volkanovski. So it was pretty pretty clear-cut decision. It was pretty, uh, pretty good comparisons that we can draw from this card, so that's definitely why I picked it. I was thinking maybe I could go like maybe a strike force or maybe even a pride card to do something crazy, but no, I wanted to go with something that was a little bit familiar with modern day times. Because your original choice, a little bit of a spoiler for anyone at home, your original choice was going to be Derek Lewis versus Travis Brown, Fight Night Halifax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And only because I, I went to that one. That's, that's the only reason, really. You've probably chosen the best choice, though, for two reasons. One, Todd Grisham. And two, mm. do we really want to sit through an Elias Fyodoru fight? <laughs> no, you don't want to sit through that fight, trust me. So UFC 112, I have to be honest, I haven't watched this show in full. I've seen clips of the main event, mm. I know about the controversy, but I've never actually watched this one on the whole. So it's going to be a new experience Same for me. Um, I just want to say anybody who is joining us for the first time, this is a little bit of a fight companion. I mean, we haven't got... Joey Diaz with us and we haven't got Eddie Bravo <laughs> with all his conspiracy theories but if you do want to get involved in the show then please fire up Fight Pass and then we'll be giving a couple of time frames for when you should be syncing us up so 
If you'd rather listen to us blathering on rather than Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg, you know exactly what to do. So, Clay, have you got your mouses at the ready? Uh, yeah, good to go. Ready, and three, two, one. And the video has started there. So I think, Clay, the first thing we need to do first and foremost is we need to be talking about UFC 251. So... A lot mm -hmm. of hype building into this card. Jorge Masvidal, of course, going to be in the main event on six days' notice. Everybody talked about the flying knee. Was he going to be the man to dethrone Kamaru Usman and his reign of terror? Um, and I'm afraid to say that a lot of those experts of the sport were proven right. Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> I, I went at this fight with uh, purely with my heart. It wasn't going with this with my brain at all. I just... And clearly with the Masvidal he made it because it was uh, when we first talked about it it was when it was in uh, such a turmoil and such jeopardy of what, what will happen like there were so many uh, obstacles that he had to cross before he made it Dobby Dobby and I said if he made it there he made it, I thought he would but clearly Usman went with the smart game plan clearly and there was a lot of criticism of that game plan. Um, I know, because uh, I have a couple of friends who come over for the pay-per-views themselves, and they were very wary of Kamaru Usman. They saw the Tyron Woodley fight, and he just, he just thought, mm -hmm. this guy's just going to wall and stall. He's just not going to try and win. And then, of course, that's sort of what happened. It was, it was an effective strategy. You wouldn't want to strike with a striker, somebody especially as confident and as technical as what Jorge Masvidal could be but it, it's not what we want to see as fans and I mean I give Kamaru, I like the foot stops. I like that so old skill that was very Mark Coleman <laughs> I mean Mark Coleman would be proud yeah. of those foot stomps mm -hmm. I was surprised he wasn't tweeting that out actually he's very active on Twitter I don't even know if that is Mark Coleman but pretty much is it has to be Mark Coleman he's, he's always on point with his observations and reciting history so because I would love to be interviewing people for uh, the channel, obviously when I get myself a better microphone. It's, it's one of the big reasons why I've had a couple of ideas for stuff for the channel, but I've been a bit having second thoughts about going ahead with them because I just feel I'll just be getting people criticising me for the mic quality. We've just got a rundown of the card coming up here. So we've got um, Mark Munoz, I believe, taking on Kendall Grove. Yeah. Now there's a guy who's sort of like, people don't really appreciate as much as what they should. Mark Munoz, I mean, he was a good mm. fighter in his time. Oh, yeah. I believe he had a fight. Oh, man. Who was that? With uh, Weidman or somebody? The Weidman fight, I, I think that was, fight was pretty rough. <laughs> that was a really late stoppage. Yeah, that was really bad to watch. That was hard. Matt Hughes taking on Henzo Gracie, Frankie Edgar versus BJ Penn, and then we've got Anderson Silva versus Damian Meyer in the main event. Ah, notice there, he's Frank Edgar. He's not Frankie yet. <laughs> We're not on name terms yet. But yeah, just... So where was BJ Penn in his career around this time? Where was he? Well, BJ Penn, lightweight champion, he was... I think a lot of people... You could make an argument that he was probably the pound-for-pound -pound fighter. Like, it was either him, oh, okay. GSP, or Anderson. Um, I forgot how tough that choke was that um, Silver gave Dan Henderson there on the, yeah. the preview but no BJ was not past his best yet I, a lot of people still saw him as sort of like the prime fighter I mean the last fight before then it was either Kenny Florian or Diego Sanchez 
and he absolutely pieced Diego apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a hard fight to watch, definitely. Every time that fight was crazy. That that cut that he got on Sanchez, that was so bad. And I think there's a lot of people, you know, they they obviously see the later years of BJ's BJ Penn's career and just think that he was a bum, he was a nobody. I encourage anyone to watch the Diego Sanchez fight because that is as good of a title defense as you yeah. can come across. Mike Goldberg, of course, still on good terms with the UFC and still doing his research at this point. Joe Rogan sort of clinging onto the last remaining hair that he's got. It's a bit of a disheveled look there for Joe, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it looks like a quarantine look. Yeah, I'm going through that right now. My hair, I'm starting to get me afro back. Man, my hair's gotten bad. I got a haircut in December, and then <laughs> the lockdown went in, and I was screwed. <laughs> so I haven't had a haircut in almost like half a year. <laughs> like, it's bad. Well, it's bad for me, it's bad for me especially because my hair grows out, but I'm receding at the same time. Oh, okay. So it's a bit, it, <laughs> like, do you follow tennis? Uh, not really. Because it's basically Andy Murray. <laughs> I'll look that up. Yeah, if you look up Andy Murray's hair, that's pretty much what I've got going right now. It's sort of like a receding perm. Alright. <laughs> Makes it look good, but if it's quarantine hair, it's definitely grown out a bit. <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm well lucky though. I think the hairdressers have started opening over in the uh, UK, so I'll try and yeah. do myself a trip there at some point. Yeah, I think mine have too, but I'm just waiting because it's probably crazy. So I'm not even going to try until like at least like a month after they've been open. I always find it interesting, the, just going back to this fight card, I always find it interesting the way that the lightweight division was perceived by a lot of people. Because you know how flyweight is sort of seen as this sort of like joke division by a lot of MMA fans? Yeah. Well, that's what lightweight was at the time. I mean, the lightweights, they weren't bad fighters in the lightweight division but nobody took them that seriously I mean I was reading on a couple of things about pay-per-view buys and that Edgar versus Maynard the uh, second fight which uh, ended in a draw that only did about 100,000 buys oh wow okay (laughs) that's nuts which considering what lightweight is now it's sort of seen as the marquee UFC division but it was treated as a joke for a long time it wasn't really until I'd say mm. Pettis become champion. The people started taking it seriously. Yeah. Yeah, when Pettis came onto the scene, that was a uh, that was pretty big. For a while, he's considered a pound for pound. Oh, he was so flashy. But I think, I think the issue, what we've seen with Pettis though is that is a that's a fighting style that you can only get away with when you're a young fighter, when you're capable of doing all those runs off the side of the fence and you're able to use your movement. And now that we've seen Pettis start to get a little bit older and the wear and tear on his body, he's just not the same anymore. It's sad to watch, actually. Yeah, definitely. Any Mark Munoz memories? Come to mind for yours. Just a Weidman, really. Just a Weidman fight. I haven't seen many of the fights in his career. I've never really seen many of them. And with um, Kendall Grove, of course, you got season three winner of the Ultimate Fighter alongside a certain Mr. Bisping. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another guy who I feel sort of... He should have been a lot better than what he was. I mean, he still had a decent career. You, you don't, you're not a 
you don't get into the UFC by being a bad fighter, but he should have been one of those title contending guys rather than somebody who was there just to fill fight cards. Yeah, Kendall, I think he fun uh, BKFC recently. And I believe he was close to being on the undercard for Golden Boy. Oh, God. Okay. I think I, I'm <laughs> tempted to say he was going to fight... I don't know if he was going to be fighting Duran first and then they got Lawler in. But I, de okay. I definitely know Kendall Grove was going to be on that card and then had to pull out. You know, fascinating thing about the stadium, you know, this stadium was built exclusively for this show. So it was put together in about a month. Yeah. And then they I tore the whole that. thing down after they were completed. <laughs> like, what a waste. Well, they have the money, they have the efficiency to do that. I know. 11,000 people in attendance, and I think they still did three... I think the gate numbers were still something like three million dollars. Okay. And half a million people buying this on pay-per-view. Wow, holy crap. So the Anderson hype was in full effect. It was. Uh, I'm not sure... I'm not sure what the... I'm not sure what the numbers were after this. Obviously, there's all the controversy that came from the main event. So I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head what the Chael Sonnen numbers did. But no, part of the reason okay. why this whole event came came into place was the UFC had just done a deal with um, investors in Abu Dhabi. So they part owned Zuffer at that point. So they wanted to do a show in Abu Dhabi, try and integrate themselves to their new owners. And he had this idea for this sort of big supercard, Anderson Silva, the big mainstream star. What should be an easy squash match against Damian Meyer, who I think had just been knocked out by Nate Marquardt, I think. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, you got BJ Penn, legend, and Frankie Edgar in the co-main. So, and, of course, Matthews and Henzo Gracie. So you had all these big stars and what was supposed to be this sort of celebratory super show for the new owners. And then, of course, it turns into a bit of a mare. <laughs> you know on the subject of pay-per-view buys I was reading somewhere that um, uh, Masvidal versus Usman could have potentially done 1.3 million buys yeah it was supposed to be the biggest one since uh, Connor versus Khabib it depends on because it depends on what you hear about um, Connor versus Cowboy because I heard just over a million for that but some people are quoting okay. 2 million so not entirely sure who to believe on that one. Personally, I believe the former. Yeah, I'll try and clear that up. Let me look that up. Because the, the reason Khabib versus McGregor did so well was not only Connor's star power, but you also had Khabib's as well, because Khabib is a much bigger star than people realize. So it was a combination of them two, and then they had all the bad beef. So that card was always guaranteed it was going to be doing good numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Some people are saying two million. Some people are saying one million. Uh, I, probably somewhere in the middle. I That's believe the one million figure, because that was that was a card sold on one fighter who was coming off a loss after a long time yeah. out. So I lean more towards that one. Yeah, I don't think it was two million. The UFC would have made a bigger deal out of it if it was two million. All right, here we go, Bruce Buffer introductions the one issue I do have sometimes with a lot of these international pay-per-views is I don't feel that the 
the crowds are as energetic as they would say in Vegas. Cause I, yeah, I do see what you mean. Because I, I always find that sometimes with Japan, I mean, I, in some ways I love the Japanese crowds, but sometimes you, you want the sort of big hype moments, and I feel like sometimes because they're not as familiar to the sport, especially with someone like Abu Dhabi, because I mean, a lot of the people in attendance for this show will probably not have watched an MMA card before, so mm -hmm. this is all new to them. Yeah, with Japan, I've seen in Ryzen, they can get very excited over stuff, but it's got to be stuff that's very relevant to them, like uh, Kai Asakura versus yes. uh, Horiguchi. Like, they flipped out over that. That was a huge deal. Oh, a very young like, Mark got out there. <laughs> so, yeah, they definitely can, but it's just got to be familiar to them, I feel like, with foreign, foreign audiences. I mean, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong, I totally agree with you, because the one that sticks in my mind, I watched Vanderlei versus Brian Stan, mm -hmm. and the crowd are insane for that fight, because it's Vanderlei, because he's such a legend yeah. over there, because of what he did in Pride. Uh, 450, 449, 448, in the first round, Munoz taking on Kendall Grove. Actually, on that subject of pay-per-views, we're talking about it, you know, um, did you hear the stories about UFC 250? Uh, not necessarily. Now, like the pay-per-view buys. Like, the pay-per-view buys. Now, a lot of this has come from sort of like a a sports gossip blogger. So don't read too much into it because <laughs> it's not the most reliable source. He's sort of like a sort of like a, a sports version of Perez Hilton. He's saying though, less than ninety thousand buys. <laughs> Holy crap! I would not be surprised. And the thing is, you know, is when we did the preview show, we. We raised those concerns. We said, were the UFC making the right call having that fight headline a pay-per-view, considering, oh, he's got dropped him. Oh, my. Kendall Grove just got dropped there. Munoz recovering well, trying to go for the takedown. Or maybe just try and buy himself some time. It's jumping knee. Jumping knee from Kendall Grove. I'm sure you'd much rather hear Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan getting excited about this. We don't, we don't really have great broadcasting voices. <laughs> but no, just getting back to my point, we raised those concerns when we did the preview show, and we got a lot of blowback for that. And we had a lot of people saying, oh, what the hell are you talking about? Everyone loves Nunez. This, this fight will do fine. And I'm not a I told you so type. Oh, my. He came close to back of the head, back of the head I was going to say. Mark Goddard's letting this go. Oh, he's moving. It's, it's I've seen referees stop that before. Yeah, that <laughs> might have been stopped if that was the ESPN era. And I'm not, I'm not the sort of person who's sort of a I told you so type, but I feel a lot of those concerns we had about that headliner came to fruition. Yeah, yeah. Munoz still in recovery mode right now. Grove just trying to... Again, we've seen far too much of this of just people wall installing. I tell you what, the... next time the Kamara Usman's fight, they need to get that mother, um, that uh, Daniel Moore, I can't pronounce his name, Mohavedi, who uh, <laughs> refereed the uh, Laziz fight. Because he was standing okay. them up after about five seconds every time. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been pretty pretty interesting if the referee 
would step in more of that, but he was doing foot stomps. That's the thing. Yes. He was inflicting damage most of the time. This all like he was doing just enough, just enough to keep the referee from stopping. And as we say, that Goddard just breaking it up there. Yeah. I like Mark Back Goddard. I think, I think Goddard's one of those people who, he's a good ref, but he knows he's a good ref, which can sometimes be a bit off-putting. I don't know if Colby Covington will agree with that, <laughs> but well, Colby's uh, saying he signed a deal to fight Tyron. <laughs> Which is waiting on Tywin to sign. Yeah. That... That'll be pretty interesting to see. I, I don't see that fight happening, though. I see Tyron taking some more time off. Oh, man, he's got him in a choke. No, he's got out. I don't know why the UFC is so big overhand. Big overhand for oh. the They're getting wild here. Oh, caught him. Trying to go for the takedown. Kendall blocks it. Trying to go for the guilt. This is a good fight. Tries to flip him, go for the guillotine. Has he got it? That doesn't look tight to me. See, Munoz just trying to fight, try it off the hands. It's not an ideal oh. position for Kendall, and Munoz is out. I tell you what, though, Mark Munoz has taken some damage in this round. Yeah. <laughs> Holy. Side of the head. I don't know why the UFC is so insistent on putting together Covington versus Woodley. I mean, that's a fight that would have made sense at the start of the year. Like, yeah, Tyron, yeah. who was coming off a loss, Colby, who just lost to Usman, so it made sense from that perspective. But Tyron also had still that aura about him. Because mm -hmm. you could have written off the fight against Usman as a great Usman oh, performance. Man. He's... Another power team. Oh, man. He's not going to get him. Tell what Mark Munoz is tough. Holy crap. End of the round. Yet, after the Gilbert fight, I don't think the fine interest is there. Mm -hmm. I don't see it being competitive. And I don't I, I don't know why, I just don't feel that I don't feel Tyron deserves a jump up in quality after losing the Gilbert. I feel right now Tyron should be one of those guys who should be fighting down the card. So for me, I would do Tyron versus like Jeff Neal or Michael Chiesa, someone of that sort of ilk, to see if he's <laughs> still worthy of being. Man, you'd go that low. Jeff Neal's good. Jeff Neal is very, very good. Did, I mean, did I'm you? I'm thinking uh, Jeff Neal versus Covington. I think that'd be a good fight, but I don't think that's would sign that. Not for that fight. Um, I, I just think that I mean Jeff Neal can make a real name for himself beating someone like Tyron Woodley yeah maybe a Jeff Neal would be suited more for like a, a wonder boy yes I could see that fight being booked and Jeff Neal deserves it as well because this guy's been on fire did you did you watch the finish of Mike Perry yeah yeah I was watching that live I mean Mike Perry is as tough as nails and yeah that was the Neil first time oh my Munoz has taken some damage here just got knee to the head. Immediately into on his back. Am I right in saying as well that Munoz was quite a heavy cutter when he was at middleweight? I think I read somewhere that he took like time out from the sport and he got up to about 240 pounds. <laughs> Holy crap. Volkanovski number. Volk weight, I was going to say that. 
Have you seen the pictures of Volkanovski when he was um, when he was a rugby player? Yeah, it looked like a man. I don't even know how to describe it. It looked like a what Joe Rogan would look like if he was uh, <laughs> a little bit shorter, <laughs> and he was in rugby. A little bit shorter. I mean, Joe Rogan's already as short as he comes. <laughs> And it's a great fight. It is. Like, Munoz now is starting to get an upper hand. Kendall trying to coax him into his guard. You don't see a lot more. You don't see as much guard play these days as what you do with yeah. um, the old school MMA. Like, the only real guy I can think of who saw, like, a real big guard guy is Paul Craig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gonna... most people don't do it anymore because of that, right? Exactly. Yeah. The massive headshots from top mount. I mean, you've got Tony Ferguson. He he does a little bit of good guard work. Well, Ferguson's striking is so good that he can get away with it. Yeah. I mean, I've uh, seen. I remember uh, Bisping versus GSP when Bisping was cutting him up from bottom with the elbows. That's a perfect ground game right there. Because a lot of people thought as well. Everyone said, "Hey, if GSP gets him down, it's going to be game over." Because lo- yeah. lol, British jujitsu. Um, but no, Bisping was cutting them up with elbows, and if it got to the stage where GSP was having to try and get out of it because of how much damage he was taking, that's yeah. a really he, un- he jumped out of it. That was it. Like he he immediately uh, stopped going for that position. It was all top game, standing up from there. A lot of people, you know, overlook that fight because mm-hmm. I mean they remember the moment of GSP winning, and they remember it as oh, that sort of. Like now, Munoz—he's swarming him now. Big oh elbows. Oh my! This is such a good fight. Like considering what Munoz was like in that first round, he's going to stop him. He stopped him. Oh what a my. comeback! What a comeback! Now that's the sort of fight you need to open up a card. Wow. Very impressive. Can safely say I've never seen that fight before. No, no. Like I was saying before, like with GSP versus Bisping, everyone remembers the moment of GSP winning. They remember it as the sort of cherry on the end of, uh, on top of 217, which in my opinion is the greatest pay-per-view of all time. But people forget the fight. That was a really, really good fight even before the finish. It was a lot more competitive than I thought it was going to be. I thought GSP was just going to be far too good for Bisping. But it was saying, you know, George had a lot of medical issues in the build to that fight because he's, he's, he doesn't have a 185's physique. Cause, yeah. Because he was one of the smaller welterweights on the, on the roster. And here he was putting like 15 pounds worth of muscle on. Yeah, like I couldn't imagine him fighting like a Yoel Romero. No. Like... <laughs> I think... Or even like a Kelvin Gastelum. Like I feel like Gastelum might be a little bit bigger... Don't know. But GSP has the skills. Even mm-hmm. even that GSP who fought Bisping would still be good enough, in my opinion, to be a top five middleweight. Yeah, well, after that, he would have had to fought uh, Whitaker. Whitaker. I don't, so, and I don't see that... I don't see him beating Whitaker. Yeah. Too fast. Really too much of an all rounder. That was before Whitaker went to war. Or... No, that was after 
the first fight with uh, Yoel, but yes. that wasn't really a, oh that wasn't really a war compared to the second fight. No, the second like he got dropped a lot in the second fight. A lot of people contribute that to why the Izzy fight went the way it did. Which surprises me because you'd think after a year of recuperating, all those issues would have been undone. Because I do believe that was Stipe versus DC. I think that Stipe was mm. still feeling the effects from the Francis fight. Yeah, I definitely see that. Because, I mean, he took some big shots in that second fight and his chin held up quite well. Yeah, he was taking a lot of the same shots. Like, uh, there was a lot of the times where uh, Cormier would set up the same technique that he knocked him out with in the first fight. And a lot of the times it wouldn't land the same way it did. A lot of the times he would get out of the way. A lot of the times he would avoid it. But the times where it would land, he'd stay up. Wouldn't even flinch. We just got to promo that. This is something that I don't think that the USC does as much. Because I feel they've... For right or for wrong, they, they build up the entire show. Like, USC 251 is the event. It's not Silver versus Maya. We're not building up to, like, one big fight. But they used to do that with a lot of the early, like, Zuffer shows. It was very sort of boxing-esque. So... In between the undercard fights, they would have stuff like this where the fighters come into the arena and they would have, like, they'd be talking to, I don't know, David Spade for his predictions on Chuck versus Randy and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, because that's what I want to see. I want to see, I want to see, like, Z list comedians giving their predictions for, <laughs> I don't know, Conor McGregor versus Cowboy. Yeah, really. You don't see them interviewing Halle Berry or anything. They could have easily done that for like the Nunes versus Cyborg fight or just any of Cyborg's fight. They easily could have done that. I'm right to see her and Chris are good friends as well. Look at how young Dos yeah. Santos is. Terry Etten versus Rafael Dos Santos coming up here. And you know, people forget Terry Etten was a hell of a fighter back in his day, but when everyone thinks yeah. of him. They just think about what Barbosa did. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Am I the only one who sees a young Dos Anjos looking a bit like Henry Cejudo? Yeah, he does <laughs> look a little bit without the mustache. Yeah, like when Cejudo started growing out his beard a bit. I feel like RDA as a teenager would probably look like Cejudo. Yeah. Maybe even as a kid. <laughs> I remember reading about Terry Etim. I think he, I think he had a lot of like long-term issues that stemmed from the Barbosa knockout. I remember reading somewhere that like he's maybe not in the best of health. So um, I think he's got over those issues, though. So thankfully, from our perspective, hopefully he's got over the worst of his problems. But I do remember reading that it, it took a lot out of him for a, a long time. Jeez. Yeah, I hope it's not a. Doesn't turn into like a. Who was that? Uh, trying to think. Yeah, in February 2017. Tim Sylvia. I'm trying to think. Hopefully, it's not like a Tim Sylvia situation where injuries are popping up much later in his career. Yeah, I just found the uh, article here. Um, Liverpool mixed martial artist is believed to have been seriously injured after running in and out of traffic in Old Swan. Jeez. Is that Chaudhry? You're looking in the back. It's Chaudhry. 
No, no joke. That has to be him. So you're saying it didn't do eleven thousand? It was all like one hundred, but Chatty just said it did eleven thousand. <laughs> yeah, that's him, dude. <laughs> Well, I've heard he's been involved in MMA for a long time, so yeah. it doesn't surprise me. You know, Chatri gets a lot of grief, you know. Like, he gets a lot of ridicule for inflating one's numbers, but I like what one have been doing, and they're going to be back soon. Yeah, they're pumping up the July 31st card a lot. I think I might, uh, might set an alarm and try and make it for that, but it's only six fights. It's not like a crazy card. Yeah, because normally they have like, like uh, um, undercard, which is like ten fights. Yeah. So I just normally the undercard is like way longer than the actual main card. Because I know Invicta for their shows, they're doing like six five fight cards. Mm -hmm. Um, which is possibly a little bit more ideal because I can just I can go to the gym and I can just watch an Invicta card in in its entirety. It's like a good way to kill like a Saturday morning in the gym. <laughs> All right. Never done that before. I've never watched fights in a gym before. <laughs> it's great. You just you just fire up your phone, fire up fight pass, and just stay on that cross trainer until it's over. So you should try that with this guard. So when you, <laughs> I mean, if you're sort of like going through that moment where you're just like, do I have to do this? Um, you can just, just throw on Ngannou versus Lewis. There <laughs> Well, I was thinking just throw on some really quick fights so it just goes over quicker and you can say, okay, card's <laughs> done, I can go off now. Throw on Bazadol versus Asuka. You know what? A lot of people talk about how fighters should handle losses. You cannot fault the way that Ben Askren has handled the aftermath of uh, the uh, Masvidal fight. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely handled it well. Like, the thing I, I love, you know, his first tweet after that fight, he just posted, well, that sucked. <laughs> well, it's just such a shock, really. I didn't expect that at all. I Nobody thought Askren was going to win. I had a lot of questions over Masvidal's grappling uh, prowess. Yeah, I thought it would be very similar to Usman versus Masvidal, to be honest. I thought it would be sort of similar to the Maya fight, if that makes any sense, when he fought Maya. Yes, that's that's the main reason I went that way as well. Because, mm. I mean, it took me a long time to really sort of get on the Masvidal hype train. I mean, the Darren Till win was impressive. We can't take that away from him. But it was sort of like... Oh, yeah. But it was sort of like... This was the same guy who got starched by Damian Meyer... Not Damian Meyer. Like, Damian <laughs> Meyer knocking you out. <laughs> no, he got, like, got beaten quite handedly by Wonderboy. Yeah, yeah. And I, I sort of felt... I always had a an inkling that Till was going to lose that fight. I just felt the moment just seemed a bit too big for him. He was just sort of feeling the pressure a bit. Yeah, really. That was that must have been in... That was in Liverpool, right? Uh, London. That was in his backyard, yeah. But It's all a little bit too much. And I just sort of got that impression, but he handled the pressure of the Liverpool card really well. So... Mm -hmm. I don't know if maybe he started to think a bit too highly of himself or the world weight cut was a bit too much, but I think middleweight is so much better for Till. Mark Goddard back in there again. Here we go. Yep, um, sort of Henry Cejudo's big brother taking on Terry Etim. 
and we are ready to go. We are underway now. 458, 457, 456. What's your opinion of Mark Goddard as a ref? I think he's pretty good. I think he's pretty good. Who's your... But there is some... There is some... Some fights that you can bring up where he has made some pretty pretty big mistakes. Like, I think, uh... Was he the referee for Bisping versus Silva? Bisping versus Silva? No, that was Herb Dean. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking... I don't know why I thought. Probably because that was in London. London. I thought been Goddard. But, you know, he's been, he's been pretty well so far. Like, uh... Well, not so far. He's been in this for very long time but as of recently it's been pretty well i've noticed like, we've nothing stoppage i wouldn't think oh my look at this so yeah i'm going for the guillotine i love those guillotine counters i mean like the proper dustin poirier move there i mean if you can pull it off it looks so because i'm i know this because i was on usc3 and i was playing the korean mode through that again and i just went through a phase where i was just using that guillotine counter to beat like five or six people in a row Looks like he tapped there. See, if this What's was that? if this was me at this moment in time, I think if I've had that in there for about 30 seconds now, he's not going to tap. So I just think you're going to burn out your arms by doing that. But again, I'm not a fighter, so I can't really pass comment. And of course, Terry can't see what we're seeing from this camera angle. We can see RDA just being very calm, very composed. And Terry can't see that from yeah. his position, so... He is trying to make the adjustments, so. What do you think of UFC 4 on that subject of the UFC games? <laughs> I'm a little bit sad that it's not coming to PC. I thought that would have been pretty cool. No DJ has been asking for that. I remember there was a developer stream where he should have asked the guy to bring it to PC, but I don't know. A lot of people have been saying that uh, the striking is not the best because the beta came out recently so people were playing that you had to get to that early until you haven't gone for an armbar RDA yeah. rolls out of it oh now that's, oh. Something, that's something we need to see eyes in the uh, fingers in the eyes yeah I think it was just fingers in the eyes that's what we need to see doing it again is he going to get a point taken off for that? I don't agree with that one, Mark Goddard. And we're just calling your praises there. <laughs> no, I'm noticing we're seeing a... We're sort of seeing a new guard of referees coming to the fore. Because if you've noticed, they've started giving people like Goddard, Jason Herzog, Keith Peterson... They're starting to get a lot more title fights. I mean, Herb is still the benchmark. Herb will still all get the big fights, but... Oh, Etten got caught with a big left hand there. Which... I sort of, I sort of like to see, because I think... I mean, Keith Peterson especially. Forget what Dominic Cruz says. I think Keith Peterson's one of the best guys out there. Yeah, Keith Peterson's a good guy. <laughs> I like I didn't like what uh, Cruz said about him. That was a <laughs> that was a terrible thing to say about him. I'm surprised he didn't get in trouble for that. Or nothing came out of that. Like nothing even happened. <laughs> and considering how how commended Dominic Cruz always was for his sportsmanship, yeah. it was very off character to see him behaving like that. Oh yeah. 
Tell you what, if that's one thing that's sort of defined 2020 so far, it's been bad refereeing. I mean, we've had a lot of a lot of controversial yeah, calls. A lot of controversy with the referees, judges, just commissions in general, I guess. Just the whole commission aspect of MMA has been very controversial. We haven't really been getting any controversial, like knees to a downed opponent. Uh, I think there was there was some card recently in LFA or something where somebody soccer kicked some guy oh. in the head. It's like blatantly illegal. Oh, what was that? I know the lad's name. Um, he used to fight in the UFC. Yeah, it was bad. Not just bad. It was blatantly illegal. Like he ran up and kicked him. Oh yeah, um, Boston Salmon. Boston Salmon. I was thinking Journey Newsom for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I that must have been LFA. Yeah, it was LFA. Because yes. that's sort of like oh, the yeah. number that's one. That's for that. That's sort of like the number one feeder, isn't it? At LFA. Yeah, a lot of fighters come out of LFA. Because I've noticed as well, I had a quick look through LFA's uh, Wikipedia profile. All their champions are vacant. Because all of them have gone into the UFC. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it must be hard to get a good champion over there. <laughs> Long reigning champion. I'll tell you what, someone made this joke on um, Twitter actually. They said, everyone talks about all, about all these goats. Nobody ever mentions vacant. Because <laughs> he's been fighting for 30 years. It's always there. He's had reigns in the <laughs> UFC. He's been champion across multiple weight classes. He's the only intergender champion in MMA history. So, yeah, he's always been around. It's a shame to see his uh, end, his reign of flyweight come to an end, though. Because um, Figueredo versus Benavidez is going to happen tomorrow. Any opinions on that one? I think that's a gonna be a really interesting fight. I think the build up though has been really dumb. Like that promo that yeah. they played, they basically made it basically the headbutt was the main cause of that knockout, but I, I don't think so. <laughs> Not at all. I feel like the same thing would have happened if there was no headbutt. It's how they framed it as well. They sort of like tried mm. to frame it as if it was it was Figueredo who caused the headbutt, which led to the knockout. Yeah. But it was Benavides' mistake. He was the one yeah, who came. Benavides, he's been coming out with a lot of trash talks, and he's going to end Figueredo and all this stuff. He's going to send him out of the division and all this, and he wants revenge. Like He's making this a grudge match. <laughs> and he's very dumb, very dumb on his part. He's supposed to be sort of sold as the, the baby face. Yeah. yeah, like it's very out of character. That being said, though, oh, oh good my. knee. Good knee from Terry Etham. That being said, though, and we were sort of talking about this between myself and my friends. It's a, isn't it a good thing that we got somebody trying to sell a fight? Because, I mean, the flyweights are always going to struggle more than anyone else because they're so much smaller. Because there's that, that ridicule that comes with the division because of the size. So they maybe need to embrace the media side of things to get people to care for them. Because, I mean, say what you want about... Cejudo or Colby or somebody who like plays these gimmicks at least they recognize hey I'm not getting attention doing what I am right now so I start to embrace the media side of the sport and I mean Colby interesting Colby shot up like fivefold once he started playing the heel now you might not like what he's actually saying or what he's doing but it's effective 
Colby mm -hmm. Covington. Yeah, definitely one, works. He's one of the most talked about guys, especially a welterweight, because of his character. Yeah, and you definitely need character in a division like Flyweight. You do. That's why I'm so excited that Manel Cape, he's fighting on uh, Cormier versus DC3. He's fighting on that pay-per-view. Has it been announced who his opponent is? Uh, Rogerio Bontarin. Uh Ranked, I'm tempted to say 10th or 11th. Uh, can I see? Uh... I have to be honest, I really struggle with a lot of the um, lower-ranked Flyweights. Because <laughs> they mentioned yeah. uh, they mentioned with that Raleigh and Piver on two fifty one that he was a number fourteen flyweight. And I was thinking, was he? Excuse <laughs> me. Yeah, really. But yeah, Manel said that he was promised a uh, top tier opponent in his debut. So I guess that's really his guess. As top tiers he can get without getting into the title picture and flyweight. <laughs> I think you've always got to be careful about when you've got a guy who's new to the UFC oh did you see that switch to top mount there yeah from RDA oh, and man. this has been one sided this has been one sided the second round I would say Terry Etten won the first round mm -hmm. or elbow and this was when was this when RDA was RDA on his winning streak at this point because he, he struggled in the UFC for a long time and then just suddenly started putting it all together I believe they said that he was on like a two-fight win streak. I think they said back-to-back -back wins or something. Because I know Jeremy Stevens knocked him out. Yeah. Which no shame to that because Jeremy Stevens hits like a truck. Yeah, that was when throwing all his power into his shots. But you mean he doesn't do it now? That's all Jeremy Stevens does. Not successfully. <laughs> that being said, do you remember when? Um, do you remember when Jeremy Stevens had like that great winning streak going? Like he beat mm -hmm. he beat Choi, he beat Josh Emmett, and he got yeah, that fight with Jose Aldo. And I mean, a lot of people had him. I think he was the bookie's favorite against Jose Aldo. Mm -hmm. So he had a lot of momentum behind him. Armbar. Oh man. Oh, oh man. That's done. Arm bar. Can he finish it here? Ah, it's all over. And Etten was doing the right thing as well, trying to step over, but that's impressive. Wow. You know, I actually read a stat, you know, just going back to modern MMA. They said that if you look at the number of submissions for um, male and female fighters, about 10% of them for the men are the armbar. And it's like 40% for women. Wow, okay. But you always found very interesting. I think that's maybe because there's a lot of... You could argue that a lot of the women's divisions are more grappling-based. So, like, learning an armbar sort of like your, your first easy go-to move. Mm -hmm. And I think it's... Yeah, a, like, that's basic self-defense. And I think as well, it's a very... It's a high-reward, low-risk move. Mm-hmm. So I think that's maybe a factor in it, but... And it's a shame for Terry Etten as well, because he had a good first round in that fight. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing good. That first, um... That Poirier-esque submission that he was locking in there, that, that looked really good. I'm surprised he didn't get that. Tell you what, if you want a sort of real hotbed for MMA right now, in the UK, 
you've got to go to the northwest. And Manchester and Liverpool are absolutely killing it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cage Warriors. They do, most of, their, they do most of their stuff around, uh, around that end. And of course, I'm doing it from Liverpool as well. You get a lot of the Irish guys coming over for Cage Warriors. Oh, here we go. Legends. Hughes versus Gracie. Where have I seen that before? <laughs> Man, that was a... Uh, oh, my God. I don't even want to think about that fight. That was bad. That was like Chuck versus Tito mm. 3 back. <laughs> I've tried... You know, I've tried reading up about where the origins of that fight came from, and nobody can give me an idea because you just think... If you were going to do Hughes versus Gracie, you'd want to do it for sort of like a sort of like a ceremonial event. If you're going to do that fight at all, I should say, you'd do it something like UFC 100 or UFC 50. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was like LA was the staple center, so you could sort of understand that thing, but it's just out of nowhere to just bring out Hoist Gracie to fight the pound-for-pound pound best welterweight mm-hmm. in the world. And it ended the way that we thought it would. It's sad. It was sad to watch. Maybe they were trying to go off of the hype that maybe uh, Mark Coleman did when he beat, uh, who was that, Stefan Bonner, Bonner, I believe. Maybe they were trying to build another fighter type of like that. Like, you know, trying to get a That's such a weird legend to get that iconic win again. That's such a weird fight to watch, Coleman versus Bonner, because yeah. like Mark Coleman looked like he was just from a completely different era. Mm-hmm. Like just the way he fought, just everything about him was like so, like no nonsense. And you had like Stephen Bonner, and he was throwing these like spinning kicks and being a mixed martial artist. And Coleman was just sort of like this grizzled old wrestler who just ground him down and just got the win. Which mm-hmm. I, I think I remember I, I picked that on my um, greatest old guy moments. I put Coleman versus Bonner on there. Okay. Which I got a little bit of blowback from because my definition of old guy moments was fighters over 40. So you had a lot of 40-year-olds saying, how dare you call me old? <laughs> That's clickbait. It's, it's the same thing with uh, Man City shirt. I'm going to grab some water real quick. Now that's something you don't see a lot. Obviously because we've got the um, Reebok deal, uh, you don't see those kind of character, but... I'm very surprised at Etihad Airways, that makes sense, Abu Dhabi. You know, it's hard to believe. A lot of people wouldn't know this, just going a little bit off tangent when it comes to the soccer. But Manchester City at one point were a nothing football club. They were very much in the shadows of Manchester United. And then, of course, they have all the Abu Dhabi money coming in. And now they're this big, massive powerhouse. They win the Premier League pretty much every single season. But no, Henzo Gracie here making his UFC debut, uh, an acclaimed career, competing in Japan for Strikeforce. Um, Gracie family, we all know about their history. In my opinion, at this point, Henzo Gracie was past his best. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm right in saying there was a there was a long time when wasn't it between Hoist and Crone that a Gracie last won. Like, Chrome was the last Gracie to win, but before that it was Hoist, UFC, uh, UFC 4. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think it might have been that. I think it would have been UFC 4. I feel like it was a very long time. Because I know they brought in Henzo and Hollis was in there. Um, yeah, Hollis. <laughs> that's a bad fight to watch. I, and it's all self-inflicted. Joey Beltran. Joey Beltran on 8 days notice beat Hollis Gracie. It's my brother's favorite fighter because of UFC 13. <laughs> or 113, not 13. My brother ain't that old. <laughs> oh, he watched that card, didn't he? He was actually in attendance. Yeah, like he was in. He was pretty far up. Like I don't think he saw everything very close. Like he had to watch some of the screens, obviously. But yeah, he was there for most of it. Definitely saw um, Koscheck punch daily, pretty, or the other way around, pretty clearly. Mind you, Josh did some dirty things in that fight. Oh yeah. Doesn't. Oh yeah. Doesn't. Um, justify what Paul did but Josh was really dirty like the eye rakes and just being Josh Koshek am I insane this was, I think I'm right in saying this was Matthews' final UFC win as well I, I don't he, this was a, so. this was either his last one or he had one more and then because I mean he's still got that aura of being Matthews at this point but he, he's not the fighter he was Oh no, he fought uh, Ricardo Almeida after this, and he won that one. And then he fought BJ Penn. Yeah, and that's when he got knocked out in, what was it, 30 yeah. seconds? Yeah. And then he fought Josh Koscheck, and the rest was history. And you know that Koscheck's going to be the sort of guy who's going to keep bringing that up until the end of eternity. Yeah. <laughs> that was definitely a loss of Sting. Yeah. Holy crap. But it was never... <laughs> I think the difference with Matthews was even though he did suffer those later losses, he never reached that sort of please retirement, please retire phase in the same way that someone mm -hmm. like Chuck did. Yeah, he sort of got out early, just when he was starting to get bad. Yes. I sort of like think... He never came back for that, that one fight on like UFC 170 against Randy or something. Like He never did something like that. Well, that would be, be a, a pretty massive mismatch, big jump, but <laughs> maybe something like uh, another BJ fight or something. Maybe on like 170 or 178. Never really did that. Which is good. Which is good because. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, though, is there anybody who's sort of like been out for a while that you you would be interested to see like come back for like a one-off, sort of like similar to what Brock did? I think it's way too far past. Like the date of when he should have came back, but TJ Grant would have been a great guy to see yes. what happened with. Him. If he didn't get all those injuries and everything, it would have been great to see what he would have been. Because he was about to get a title shot. And I believe I, he was given the title shot. Yeah, because he was going to fight Benson. Mm -hmm. And I think he would have had a good chance against Benson. Yeah. But you see, they're yeah. 43 years old versus 36. And <sighs> I mean, Henzo looks amazing for 43. Not gonna lie. Two mixed martial arts legends. You don't get that. I mean, Buffer keeps it quite straight for his promos now. But yeah, sometimes, very sometimes I would like him to add a little bit of flair. I know he like he he did that to an extent with um, uh, Connor versus Cowboy. Like he mm -hmm. mentioned all the records that Cowboy had in his build, which I thought was a good touch. 
I believe he also said, uh, didn't do anything crazy, but when Jones beat uh, DC the second time, he said, like, and new again, undisputed. <laughs> and then he got stripped. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Good H, H to their own. I can't consider John Jones the greatest of all time because of the steroid history. Because I feel like I feel like his career has been built on false pretenses. Yeah. Like how how much of his success is down to being a genuinely good fighter, and how much of it was steroids related? And I know that's controversial, and I know that Joe Rogan's going to get wind of this and start ramming it down my throat when he hears this, but. That's where I personally stand. In terms of light heavyweight, I feel like there's nobody else really that could compare to him. Like that's the thing. That's the other issue as well. If it was a more yeah. competitive field, you can make an argument for discounting Jones. Like maybe like Shogun or something. Like not even that. Like, I'm trying to think what's <laughs> the second longest reign would probably be. It'd be Chuck, wouldn't it? I mean, oh. I think Chuck had six defenses. Okay. Five or six defenses. There you go, Chuck, greatest of all time. Well, the cleanest, the greatest clean. But mind you, though, back in those days, what sort of supplements were he taking back then? Oh yeah. I mean, Chuck, Chuck was. Oh, they would have been. Yeah, they would have been feeding him everything. He was their cash cow. A lot of charisma, though. Like mm-hmm. I was having this discussion with uh, people online, and I was saying to them that. Like I, so I sometimes feel that people people are against the sort of casual friendly fighters, mm-hmm. and I mean yeah, the casuals do have some a lot of opinions which I don't especially like, but I I, I don't understand the scenario where a fighter bringing more people, attracting more interest, and bringing new fans to the sport is seen as a bad thing. Yeah. It's definitely a good thing. Like, I mean, I don't especially like Connor. I mean, I, I disagree with a lot of Connor's behavior, but it's good to have that kind of person in the sport to bring in news fans. Mm-hmm. Because my first, the first pay-per-view I watched, the first UFC event I watched was a Connor McGregor pay-per-view. And I thoroughly enjoyed what I watched on that show, and I thought, I want to be tuning into what's the next one. And here I am right now. So people like the Connors, the Rondas, the Brocks, the GSPs, the Chucks of the world. I don't have an issue with those. I would love it if every champion was that kind of casual, friendly fighter. Mm. I believe that's Dana's goal, to get every single champion to be that sort of caliber. Oh my, stiff hook by Renzo. I was going to say, you could tell that these guys are both grapplers because they are not comfortable in the stand-up. <laughs> wild, wild hands. And Matt, Matt especially does not look comfortable. Yeah. But just wait till Henzo gets a bit carried away and then goes in for the clinch. That's the big difference, in my opinion, between this sort of era and modern MMA is how many times do we see grapplers having like a stand-up brawl? But the quality of those brawls, you look at like Usman versus Colby, you look at Jacare versus Weidman, those are genuinely mm-hmm. good stand-up fights. And yet back in those days, when you had two guys who didn't really want to take each other down, you had a lot of this, a lot of faints, a lot of not entirely sure what to do. Yeah. 
Matt clinching up, Matt channeling his inner Usman there. I mean, my friend Paul, like, he is the most casual fan that you come across here. He would be hating this right now. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, did you show him the Usman versus Matt at all? Oh, he was around my house for it. Oh, <laughs> you must have loved it. Like, he just spent the whole fight just going, damn it, Usman. Because <laughs> <laughs> the other time he came around, he, do, he comes around time and again. One of the other times he came around was when Usman fought Colby. Not Colby, Usman fought um, Tyron. Okay. So all he's known is Usman just having these dreadful fights. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, if he saw Usman versus Colby, he probably would have had a different perspective on him. And I said the same thing. Like he was, yeah. I had to try and really sell him to come around to watch the Masvidal fight. And I said, well, no, Usman can have entertaining fights. Just look at the fight he had against Colby. I will say, Henzo looks a lot more confident in the stand-up than what Matthews yeah. does. Like, people make, up, make those arguments, you know, like, what would so-and-so do in a modern UFC, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think that's the wrong way to approach the question. The mm -hmm. question should be, how could someone like Matthews do at welterweight now if he had all the training in the same way the mod fighters do? Because Ma mm -hmm. like Matthews is fighting with the best that 2010 had to offer in terms of coaching and in terms of training. Mm -hmm. And I think a 2020 Matthews, like who spent more time on his striking, who could refine his wrestling so forth, I think Matthews could still be competitive because I think he would work mm -hmm. in that sort of training environment. On the other hand, though, yeah, who... A lot of feints here. Here's a good one for you. Who, in your opinion, is the worst fighter who could win UFC 1? If you took a modern, like a bad modern UFC fighter, who do you think could win UFC 1? <laughs> Um, or a lesser fighter will be a bit nicer. I could see someone like um, Olenek winning. Well, Olenek's massive. So, I mean, yeah, I could. I could I see would, him doing. I could that. see Alexi Olenek, but like, could you see someone like I don't know, Mike Jackson? <laughs> okay, we're going that low. <laughs> I could think like maybe like a. Can't think of women. That's out of the question. No women. That's not allowed. About uh, somebody like uh... a. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like the most obscure fighter possible. And be like somebody who's like on like an Asian fight night, someone like yeah. that. Andre Sukmantar. Yeah, he could probably win. Sukmantar. Yeah, I can see that. The guy who had had the chance of ending the Sean O'Malley hype train. Oh, yeah. I mean, could you imagine? There's these sort of, like, what-if moments in a fighter's career, you know, where... I'm, I'm not saying that Sean O'Malley wouldn't be a big star if he lost to Submentar, but a lot of that early buzz would have been... It would have taken, I would say, like, a, a few months, a, a year or so to try and get him back on track. Because, I mean, we saw what happened to Ankalaev. Ankalaev entered the UFC yeah. with a lot of hype. And it took him a long time to build his momentum back after Paul Craig subbed him. 
Hey, what I'm looking. Yeah, I was about to say in between the break, the cameraman are they're very perverted. I was going to say that. That's one thing I've noticed about the um, camera work in this sort of like Me Too generation. They're being a lot less yeah. sexually explicit, <laughs> which I think is a good thing. We're, we're, right it's a, ass, I mean, it's a progressive <laughs> company. Um, they've obviously embraced the idea of women in the UFC, so mm -hmm. you can't really channel yourselves as pioneers for um, gender neutrality and then be ogling the ring girls <laughs> well they do have like people like megan olivi laura sanko now but they're not, never they're, not sort of, they're not sort of overtly sexualized yeah i mean megan olivi is has got a job because of her skills as a journalist yeah i'm just saying they they got them in terms of like progressiveness, like they're adding them onto the team as like uh, you know analysts, stuff like that. They're trying to move forward and add women to the team. You would never saw that back. No, in the day. no. And I think there's some good women pundits out there. I mean, do you watch Invicta? Because Julie Kedsey's brilliant. Oh yeah, she's pretty good. I've seen a couple of Invicta cars here and there. I quite like the sort of family feel of Invicta. It knows it's not a big promotion. It knows that most of its champions go to the UFC anyway. But it's just sort of like... I know it's wholesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Good leg kick. Good leg kick from Matt Hughes. Who would you say is, who would you say is winning this fight right now? It's, it's fair... It's, it's uneventful. Yeah, very uneventful. I'd say Gracie's winning this so far. I'd probably argue Henzo as well. And again, like we mentioned, the Henzo at 43 looks a lot better than Matthews at 37. I think Matt yeah. has got a lot of wear and tear. Has there been any update on Matthews? Like, obviously, he had the, the train accident. I think he's been doing okay. I don't know though. There's a lot of messed up stuff about Matt Hughes' behind the scenes, mm, which we won't disclose on this show. We'll be, we'll be polite. Uh, just look at the news tab. Let's see. One month ago. Just trading a lot of leg kicks right now. See, Matt, you can tell this isn't Matt's forte right now. He is just not comfortable. He's, he's looking for opportunities to try and get a takedown in. Oh, yeah. Hughes looks great. I'm looking at his Instagram. There's videos of him uh, doing full-on exercise. Oh, that's now. fantastic. At the gym. He looks great. He's doing weightlifting and stuff. I've been doing a lot more weightlifting during quarantine. Mind you, I've, looks been, great. I've been eating a lot more. And I, I mean... I just sort of feel you. I just sort of feel that like my jeans don't uh, a little bit snugger than they were. But no, I've been doing a lot more weightlifting, which I feel fantastic about. Um, <laughs> I'm more of a cardio guy. When I they, normally just run. I've been doing a lot of walking. We uh, we live in the mount. We live um, up on the hills over in the UK, so we've got loads of old um, train lines that we just sort of walk along. Um, okay. Abandoned. Don't worry. It's not like stand by me. <laughs> No, like, our area was like an old pit area. So they used okay. to have, like, branch lines which would come from the pits. 
and like join into the uh, the main lines themselves and take all the coal to Okay. Um, so we've got loads of old abandoned lines that we just go along, like proper like nine milers. Mm -hmm. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'd love to run on one of those. I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner by any means. Too much excess skin. Just, just jiggle all over the place. Oh man! Good shot, good shot. But no, I mean, I I love the old school MMA, but I mean, I look at, I look at some of the stand, I look at the quality of the striking, and it's it's not up to modern standards mm -hmm. by any means. Yeah. I mean, I've rewatched. Definitely see that there was a leap in technique. I w I mean, I rewatched uh, Bonner versus Griffin, which fantastic fight. Like it is, you can see why it's held in such high regard. But the quality of the striking is not good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very slobber knocker type of fight. <laughs> but it's exactly what the UFC needed. Yeah. It really was. Yeah, definitely. That being said, I always take a, a minority opinion. It wasn't Bonner versus Griffin which saved the UFC. It was Ken versus Tito. Really? Okay. Because that was... The I, do, I do see what you mean there. Because that was the first fight that really got the mainstream interested yeah. and made them think, what the hell, that's Ken Shamrock from the WWE. He's, he's going to be doing real fighting now. <laughs> Perversious cam there again. Because that was sort of my, dare I say, that was sort of my first experience of, I, I sort of had an idea of what the UFC was. And a lot of it stemmed from Ken Shamrock because I'd seen him in the WWE. And then I heard his name mentioned in this. Uh, like, I thought UFC was just sort of like another pro wrestling promotion. Okay. And in elementary school, I always knew about UFC, but I never watched it. But people always treated it like it was, it was something serious. Like, nobody ever joked about it being, like, just grappling or anything. Like, I remember people really liked it. Like, I remember always hearing about Silva and... Chuck back in the day, but I I never never was able to catch it on TV. It's always so late. My dad would always have me on a really early bedtime, like ten o'clock, so there's no way I'd see like Silva on TV or anything. Because my brother used to watch it all the time. So I'd heard my friends talking about it, mm -hmm. but I, I I couldn't really say what it was. And I would, yeah, same here. And it wasn't really until like Ronda became like mainstream that I I started to take attention. Because, like, obviously, you had all the, the people saying, oh, he's this glamorous, gorgeous woman, and, hey, she she kills people for a living. <laughs> so that's sort of, like, where my sort of interest from it came from. Um, and then, of course, Conor McGregor became the big star. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear Conor McGregor's going to be fighting, I thought, you know what, I'll check this out. And, you know what, I, I, loved, I loved the main card. And, that, and then I... Did a bit of reading up and said, oh, apparently this, this guy, John Jones, he's pretty good. I'll check out that one. Henzo's oh, starting to look a bit tired here. Yeah. That's a good, that's the one thing about Matthews. His conditioning was always really good. I also remember hearing that the arena was very hot. Yes, Abu Dhabi is baking. Because I was hearing at 2.42, the, um, the aircon broke down. So it was. Yeah, I remember that was a hot. problem there as well. 
Good shot. Oh man. That was good oh, shot. Good uppercut. And you can see that Henzo is knackered. Henzo is breathing hard. Holy. Yeah, he's having troubles. Oh, oh he's wobbling. Yeah, he just doesn't have the cardio to hold up with this. I've heard a rumor, you know, like they're saying in uh, Vegas to start. Well, Nevada's starting to shut things down again. Yeah. So yeah. Dana was commenting on that. He's putting forward the idea that they could be doing more events over in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. If I was him, that's what I'd be doing. Like it's going, it's going perfect right now. Just keep going. I know. But then there, there is a problem of uh, like, will DC be able to go to, all the way to Abu Dhabi? He was there for a card though, wasn't he? I don't think he was, no. Bisping, um, it was uh, John Anik and Bisping who covered um, okay. 251. I was thinking maybe he commentated one of them, but I guess not. Probably too busy with the fight, obviously. Yeah. The training. And I tell you what, compared to how he looked, oh, he's oh, hammering that man. leg. Man. See, if I was Herb, I'd maybe consider the idea of stopping this. Yeah, like he does not want to get no. out there. Matt's just going to keep hammering that leg. Tell what, how many more people have we seen using calf kicks? Again, another one. Oh, man. I tell yeah, you. Calf kicks. Can't really think of any. It's been a long time. No, Jones there, does it a bit? There was, a, there was one guy on one of the. Um, there was one guy on one of the. Um, Apex shows. He won the fight in the first round with leg kicks, and he just hammered them throughout. Oh yeah, I'm trying to remember. Now Henzo's trying to pull guard. He's, he's yeah, like I stopped the fight. He does not want to get up. Look at Matt, still fresh. And here's the thing: I thought that Henzo won the first round. I thought the second round was fairly even. Yeah. This has just been all Matt. Again, oh. another leg kick. He's just buckling whenever one of those land. They gotta be so. That so those must kill like hell. Those. Oh, those those are good shots. Those were good shots. Matthews with the win. Wow. Tell you what, I criticized the striking, but that was a good combination there. And I think I'm right in saying Henzo didn't fight after this. Uh... I think it was just. I think it was just a one and done deal. Not because he was cut or anything, but um, obviously 43 years old. Yeah, let me ch double check real quick. Sure, uh, dog. Looks like that, huh? Just spotted Robbie Lawler. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that was just a one, one done. Because Robbie was, am I right in saying Robbie was with uh, Militich at this point? I think so. Yeah, there he is in the background. Back when Robbie Lawler was one of those whatever happened to him guys. Mm -hmm. Moved down to Welterweight, moved to... Robbie went... Was it ATT he went to? I mean, Robbie was... I a... think it was. Robbie was, was amazing when he came back to the UFC. Just started oh, yeah. to put it all together. Speaking of Renzo Gracie, uh, after he lost his fight... Oh, yeah. Won uh, one more time in 2018. Guess which promotion? It wasn't won by any chance, was it? 
Yes, it was. One championship, July 27, 2018. One submission, second round, Yuki Kondo. And wasn't there a... Wasn't there something that came out about Henzo Gracie recently? I think he made some comments, which... Oh, yeah, I think he talked about, like, Gina Carano. She, like, posted, like, a explicit picture on her Instagram, and he's like... I think he said like, it was something really cringy. <laughs> Let me try and pull it up. Yes, it's been um, it's been deleted. Ah, put some clothes on. You don't need it. You are among the most beautiful women I've ever seen. That makes you unique. <laughs> There's no need for sex pics. You are the most beautiful woman. That walked around. Simple <laughs> as that. In fairness, I, silly, though, I can understand... Every picture of Gino Carano is sexy, yeah. so... I can understand where he's coming from. Because a girl... <laughs> no, in that, a girl like Gina Carano doesn't need to do something so overtly sexualized. But, if that's yeah. what she wants to do, that's fine. And there's certainly a... A Brazilian yeah, in these mid-50s. Like you're a freaking dad or anything. No, ex exactly. <laughs> so It's not like she's doing porn or anything. There's been a big thing about sort of like sexualization recently. Like that's been a big talking yeah. point in MMA over these years. Because I was I was listening to a couple Curtis of blades really uh, mm -hmm. really brought into the spotlight. And I sort of think to myself, again, it's a similar situation. I I can see where Curtis is coming from. I don't personally I think it sort of devalues the sport because I think there are a lot of girls who use their UFC status as a means of trying to promote their sort of modeling side, which I think is wrong. But if that's the approach they want to take, that's their decision. Yep. They... And I don't think it's bad unless it like... Uh... I love Unless the... it gets crazy, like a OnlyFans account, and they're like posting actual nude photos, and then that's bad. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's against like UFC's terms, or because didn't a fighter post something like that? I think there's like a, a long time I think there's ago? a couple of fighters who have OnlyFans accounts, uh, but I don't think they're in the UFC. I think Beck Rollins had one. No, but I'm trying to think. There was a fighter a long time ago who posted like an explicit picture or something online, like just on her social media, and she got cut, I believe. I think it was one of the Bing girls. Was it was Shondella? I think Shondella did yeah, Playboy. Yeah, might have been one of the ring girls. But I remember something like that happening, where it was like a breach of their code of conduct. So there is some sort of conduct in place for something. Call me in time, BJ Penn taking on Frankie Edgar. I tell you what, oh, yeah, you can hear right there. a lot of people, you know, they don't realize how big of a shock this was when it happened. Yeah. Like, BJ Penn was that good at this point. Yeah, Frank, look at that. Holy. He was aggressive, so aggressive. Hand speed. He was unpredictable. His back control it's up there as some of the best I think the way that he was able to just control somebody when he got on their back was brilliant mm. where do you stand on like hype packages like this because again it's another thing which sort of brings me back to the preview shows that we do and trust me we get a lot of criticism for the preview shows for a multitude <laughs> of reasons the microphone's mainly one of them 
but I made a promise to myself I have to keep using it for until at least January this was a present from my family and I just feel like I'd be sort of like throwing it in their face if I didn't use it for at least a year well, I can set you up if you need it. You can definitely get that microphone arm set up. You're gonna, like you're gonna go all the way. Speed. You're gonna fly all the way to the UK. Yeah. Hey, Dad. <laughs> I'll set it up for you. It's cold. I have to warn you. It's even colder here. Good point, actually. Yeah. This is this be sort of like Abu Dhabi <laughs> for you. Oh uh, yeah, I'll be used to it. Trust me. But no, like one of the criticisms we got, and again, it goes back to the two fifty one, because. For whatever reason, it's just any event which has Nunes in it always seems to get a really negative feedback from the people <laughs> on YouTube. But no, one of the comments they made was they said, well, why are you, why are you bigging up Felicia Spencer? And it's not like part of our job is, yes, it's to make predictions for the fights, but also we've got to, we've got to try and sell a fight. We've got to say, hey, mm -hmm. there is a reason to watch this show. And we've got to like emphasize what Felicia Spencer does well, what she doesn't do as well, what Nunes does well, and so forth and so forth. Because if we just said, don't bother watching this fight, it's going to be a mismatch, that's not going to be good television. And I think we did, I think we did the right thing. We were honest about what we think each fighter did right and wrong. And then by the end of the preview, we were honest about it. And I said, hey, Felicia mm -hmm. Spencer has a lot of heart, but she doesn't have the skill set. So I, I don't understand that sort of criticism, but again, I'm, <laughs> I'm not the viewers, so I don't know. We'll never know, man. The internet's a weird place. Um, and again, it's what Joe Rogan always says. You don't want to, you should just ignore the comments. Let me look at the undercard of this, because I don't think we've really talked about that. UFC 1, 12. Well, the one that stands out for me was the prelim headliner. Um, Alexander yeah. Gustafsson losing against Phil Davis. Yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah, I don't really know any of these other fighters. <laughs> like Demarcus Johnson versus Brad Blackburn. Like, yeah. I know Paul Kelly. Paul Kelly was quite entertaining. I know Mustafa Al-Turk. He's opening the main card. Or the prelim. Al-Turk was... Uh, well, I know Al-Turk from that fight with Czech Congo, which... I included mm. on the Mazagati video. I have to say, you know, yeah. I, I'm not some, I'm not one of those sort of people who likes to blow their own trumpet. I would say if I had to choose my favorite video, it would probably be the worst Steve Mazagati moments. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty good one. But I did like the Golden Boy one. I like that one. I've started enjoying doing those videos a lot more. Um, mm -hmm. I think that the issue you've got with um, a lot of like MMA YouTube channels is a lot of them do very similar types of content and especially list based stuff yeah. because those are the stuff that gets yeah. the most views and I started enjoying like doing stuff away from that like I like the idea of just covering one story and just running it mm -hmm. through because one of the ones I'm going to be doing, I'm hoping to try and get this done for next month. Um, that was going to be when the Dublin card was going to take place. And obviously that mm -hmm. got cancelled. Yeah. And it reminded me, can you remember when Conor McGregor um, headlined in Dublin? And he had that line, we're, we're here to take over. And there was this big thing about Irish MMA for like a good few years. Yeah. I was going to be covering that. 
because there's a lot of okay. there's a lot of like sad stories which sort of played a part in it not playing out which obviously I'm not going to yeah. spoil for the sake of the uh, the show but... yeah <laughs> but yeah that sounds like a really good idea I like that but the thing is though is I, as much as I would enjoy making it how many people are going to be wanting to watch Islands Field MMA Invasion <laughs> Another uh, good contrasting story to that would be uh, sort of Australia's invasion with uh, Volkanovski and uh, Australia slash New Zealand, like their sort of invasion there. Because there was a long time, you know, where the quality of fighters down under wasn't great. I yeah. mean, you had, you had Mark Hunt. Yeah, and that then was really it. Your second best guy was what? Sotiropoulos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, it's really that. That's it. Decent fighter, but he was dull. Yeah, I remember I was. I didn't end up making this, but I was working on an Izzy video, and I realized Volkanovski and Izzy they debuted on the exact same card. When I was looking at weigh-in footage, they were on the exact same card. I'm right in saying was that the Mark Hunt Derek Lewis card? Oh man, I'll have to look it up. <laughs> I forget what the main event was. I think uh, it might have been because that was around the same sort of time. I have to, I have to be honest. I've never. I'm not the biggest lover of the Australian fight nights. I don't think the quality is as good. It was a uh, Romero versus Rockhold. Romero, UFC two twenty one. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, it was I think. Adesanya fought, uh, he... Rob uh, Wilkerson. Rob Wilkerson, and it was Jason Kennedy for Volkanovski, I think. Uh, Jeremy Kennedy. Jeremy yeah. Kennedy, but no, I just think the the quality of the Australian shows is never that great. Cause, and you mm. know what sort of faces you're going to get. Like two of us is going to be on there. Tyson Pedro, uh, Nadia Kassim will squeeze her way onto them as well. And Whitaker might be headlining. Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit predictable. Yeah. Well, that one where they had uh, I mean, Jimmy Kroop get... fighting uh, Sam Alvey, that one was particularly bad. That was a no. bad card. The, the fights themselves were actually okay. I, I yeah. like I like Jimmy Kroop. I think Jimmy Kroop's one of those light heavyweight guys who not mm-hmm. enough people are talking about. But yeah. um, in terms of star power, you were struggling. That was yeah. one of the hardest preview shows we had to do because <laughs> there was just, apart from the main and the core main, like we had to do a lot of reading up because me and Tim just had no idea who any of these guys were. Man, they're hyping up BJ hard right now. And, and rightly so. I mean, yeah. people forget like BJ Penn was the king back then. Yeah. I don't know if Khabib's taken over that mantle as uh, the goat, as the light. I, I don't like the term goat anyway, but as the best lightweight. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Khabib going forward after what happened to his father. It's going to be it very is. interesting. I, I honestly don't think he might fight again. I think he will fight again. It's the quality of his fighting. Yeah. Because the. I think it might take a dip a little bit. The thing that sticks to mind for me was um, Customato when he died Mm -hmm. and what happened to Mike Tyson because I mean Tyson was still winning fights but there was a big difference between how he performed before Mm DeMarto and afterwards 
Taylor Walter, one thing that stands out for me, and it has done throughout, how tiny Frankie Edgar is. Oh yeah, you can do a timestamp right now, since we're in the first round. Oh yes, uh, 432, 431, 430, 429, we're on the core main event here. Uh, one of the more controversial title fights of all time, depending on where you stand on the result. I know a lot of people yeah, I'm gonna who have fought, to pay attention to this. I know a lot of people who thought BJ Penn won this fight, a lot of people who fought Frankie Edgar. But no, that's the thing that stands out for me. Frankie Edgar fighting a lightweight was tiny. Like I think yeah. I think I read somewhere that his walk around weight at this point was hundred and fifty pounds and he was fighting wow. at one fifty. And then you had guys like Graham Maynard who were cutting like thirty pounds in weight. Yeah. Difference isn't as bad with um, BJ though. BJ wasn't one of the bigger um, lightweights on the roster. Mm-hmm. But you can see Frankie using that speed. He is so manoeuvrable. Would you like to see fighters fighting more at the walk around weight? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I definitely see it, but. I don't think it should be. I don't think they should introduce like a strict rule set or anything like that. See, but I, I would like to see more fighters fight at their natural weight. See, I personally think they would because I think there's a lot of fighters out there who most of their success are down to how big they are on fight night. Because I think Till was like that when he was a welterweight. A lot of his success was just being so much bigger and just bullying people. Yeah. And I sort of feel like now he's having to move up to middleweight, which I think is a better fit for him. He's starting to, like, fight, in inverted commas. See, I'm liking the movement of Frankie, like, little pot yeah, shots so there. Yeah, so far he's seeming way more active than BJ. BJ just seems a bit, bit relaxed for me. But again, with fights like this, when you've got a guy who's moving a lot, it looks like they're doing a lot more than what they are. Mm-hmm. Like, the person six in my mind for me was... Um, and I say this, I'm not the biggest fan of her, but Chukagian. Like, a lot of Chukagian's success mm. is down yeah. to looking like he's doing stuff. Ooh. Good shot. Good shot from BJ there, just coming in. See, this is where it gets funny. Like, with the, the first three cards, we were sort of, like, a bit sort of half-watching it. Because they weren't really as important. But we all know the stories about this fight. Oh, man. BJ's landed some good uppercuts. Just getting back to uh, uh, Khabib though. I know Dana's got it penciled in that him versus Gagey's happening in September. I think they're going to push that fight back. You don't think Khabib's going to make that? I think Dana's going to give him the time to grieve. And I think they're going to hold on to that fight until I could see it headlining December. Yeah. Because the December yeah, card... there's any... Yeah, the end of the year is normally perfect for Khabib. And December... And the Ramadan, all that. And December as well, do you usually like to end the show with a big event? Like, it's either, yeah. like, it's either like one of your big superstars, or it's a triple title fight. Yeah. So I could see Khabib versus Gigi headlining that. So, we know that Stipe versus DC is headlining... Like, BJ's catching him coming in. I, I thought Frankie had the better start, but... I think BJ's just landing these uppercuts right now, and he's starting to get the upper hand. Yeah, he's landing some good counters here. So, 
let's try and pencil out the rest of the card here. So we've got we've got an event in September, two in October, November, mm. and clinch battle there. Frankie tried to go for a takedown, threw a quick kick, didn't make any contact. I believe Dana still hasn't announced everything in August, so there might be more. I, so I remember he said that they got some crazy fights or something for August. So I've I, definitely I heard two. I've definitely heard two pay-per-views in October. Because obviously okay. they're going to have to try and make up for the for the one they didn't have in April. Okay, that'll be interesting. Two pay-per-views in one month. They've done it before. Uh, they did it with um, I think two thirteen and two fourteen were both in July, and attempted to say two thirty-nine and two forty were as well. Okay, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> Did not know that. So my prediction is they're gonna do they're gonna move Khabib versus Gagey to December. I think sep- okay. I think September they'll do Adesanya versus Costa. I know they want to do that for the Ultimate Fighter, but I have doubts over whether that's going to come back this year. I could see it happening in yeah. in twenty twenty one. So I think Izzy versus Costa as one of as the September one. The two October shows. See that's where it gets tricky. Because you're not going to pull Stevie back, Stevie or DC back, because both of them could either retire. It gets tricky. I tell you what I could see happening. Bit of a outside of opinion. I think this is a hunch. Dominic Reyes versus Jan Blachowicz will fight for an interim belt. I think they'll try and get John Jones to headline one of those cards, and if he says no, they'll go with the interim fight. I don't think they okay. would. I don't think they would dare strip John Jones, but I think Dominic Reyes is ready to fight again. I think Jan, I think Jan Blachowicz is as well, so I can see that fight taking place. What do you think of uh, Yuri Prohaska after all the hype that I gave him? <laughs> and you know what? Your reading of Prohaska was spot on. Yeah, because very every, spot on. Everything you said in terms of keeping his head up a bit, being a bit unpredictable, strike defense maybe mm-hmm. not being the best, was correct. But... Doing that to Volkan Ustamir deserves yeah. so much praise. Yeah, nobody's ever done that to Volkan before. I remember uh, DC, that, that was like grounded pound, wasn't it? Like, I don't think that was... I think, and he, he, got a, I think he submitted it. Yeah, that was a choke, but I remember he beat him up pretty bad on the ground, but he never got wobbled or anything. Like, that's a... It's got to be the first time he's ever been knocked down or out. And Volkan is... Be, and because Volkan as well is a hell of a striker. He's a lot better than yeah. people think he is. So no, I yeah. think, I think it was the, I wouldn't call it a perfect performance, but if you want to make a statement, yeah. that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It played out pretty much exactly how most of his fights play out. Like the Brandon Halsey fight, he fought like a Bellator champion in Ryzen. Played out very similar to that. He got beat up really bad, and he almost got submitted. Like he was in a really deep choke, and then sprung out of it, and he ended up knocking the guy out. <laughs> Like he always has such crazy power from obscure angles. So yeah, amazing debut. I was jumping up and down. I was so happy. <laughs> Who are you thinking about booking him against next? Corey Anderson. I I liked uh, I liked Corey Anderson. That's a good it's a good matchup because he does have some good ground game. I'm just wary of they don't want the same thing to happen to what happened to Johnny Walker. 
Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the one worry I have. Like Corey Anderson North is being shown to be a hype killer. Mm-hmm. Oh, good shot from BJ. I thought BJ won that first round just for the record. Yeah. Yeah, it looked like he did. But Frankie looks a lot busier. Mm-hmm. And again, as mentioned before, that's a good way of sort of like getting the judges to take your side. And I say this as somebody who loves Frankie Edgar. I've always been a guy who's been very supportive of him. Where do you stand mm-hmm. on him versus Pedro Munoz? I'm surprised that fight is even happening. Didn't Munoz test positive? I think he did, but they moved. Or was it like a false positive? I think positive, it was a po- like false positive. So they, he tested positive, they moved him off the card, and then they found that mm-hmm. it was a false. So they've moved him on to... Obviously, he's going to be back in Vegas as of now. Okay. Well, yeah, that's that'll be a really good fight. Very interesting. That I could see Frankie winning that. I could see a prime fight, Frankie winning that. I think the zombie fight show to me, he's starting to reach the end of his career. Yeah. Which is sad to see. The last thing I would want someone like Frankie Edgar to do is to just become this sort of. It's sort of joke to fans. Because that's, that's the one worry about like fighters who just go on a bit too long. Because we're sort of seeing it a bit with Cowboy as well. I mean, for mm-hmm. everything that Donald Cerrone's mm-hmm. done in his career, and he is, in my opinion, whether I would call him a Hall of Famer or not, I'm not entirely sure, but he's achieved a lot in his career. But all that anybody's going to think about him is what happened against Conor and his whole reputation yeah. of him choking on big fights. It's the same thing with Aldo. People aren't going to remember Jose Aldo as the, the ultra-dominant featherweight champion. They're going to be remembering that tail end of his career. And I think that's really sad. Yeah. I feel like Edgar, he's just been getting some nightmare matchups. He has. The Ortega, that was a nightmare matchup. And Zombie, like, efficient striker, very technical, lots of power, like... Not good for a state of Good career. takedown from Frankie, but BJ straight back up. Mm-hmm. See, I would give this round so far to Frankie. Yeah. Frankie's just been a bit more effective with his striking than what he was in the first round. I think, I think BJ caught him with some good count from BJ. BJ's reflexes back then were fantastic. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm favouring Munoz for that one. I don't okay. think, I don't think Frankie has the reflexes he once did. And I think and the one thing as well, Frankie has never had power. Munoz mm-hmm. showed against Cody Garbrandt, he does. Maybe that was to his disadvantage when he fought Aljamain Sterling, he just started to load up on his shots a little bit. But Aljo's been mm-hmm. knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Why do you think the UFC? An why do you think the UFC have been so reluctant to give Aljo the title shot? I feel like they they always look back on the the Marlin fight. I feel like that sort of definitely put a, a dent into it. I feel like if that fight was maybe a decision loss or a bit more competitive than what happened, uh, would have been great. Because, I mean, it's just sort of like I'm trying to give me a train of thought here. The thing with Aljamain Sterling is if he was a sort of John Fitch type figure, 
who was just mm-hmm. grinding people out to get decision after decision. I could understand the UFC thinking, I don't want this guy near a title fight. However, mm-hmm. you look at the way that Aljo's been performing. Well, what's going on here? I'm tempted to say there must be a, a cut somewhere. Frankie was annoyed by it. Ah, Vaseline. Just want to make sure this, there isn't excess grease. I mean, especially with BJ Penn around, because it's what happened against GSP. <laughs> Just got to be doubly sure. Just noticing as well, Frankie sporting the Venom shorts. What do you think of that mm-hmm. deal? Yeah, that would be pretty interesting. I hope they... I, I don't know about the design. Like, I got to look at like Venom 2020 designs. Let me see what they look like, because they probably don't look like that anymore. On the one hand, I like the fact that we've got a an MMA company producing MMA gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, and again, I'm sort of like one of those sort of I'm I'm, I'm a very media business conscious sort of a viewer. If I saw guys wearing shorts similar to the ones that Frankie Edgar's wearing in this fight, I don't think it makes the sport look as legitimate. Yeah, it's quite strange how they went from Reebok to Venom. I feel I, like it would be the opposite way. <laughs> I mean, some of the Reebok gear isn't great. I'm not defending that yeah. at all. But yeah. I don't like seeing all the sponsors like loading up fighters' shorts. I like to see a little bit of individuality. I like to see a little bit of quirkiness. Like one of the ideas I always had was that we keep something similar to what Reebok have got right now. But sort of you've got an area on the shorts to have your own sort of logo and your own sort of quirk and personality mm. like similar to what Krokop did with his shorts like he always had like a patch on it of like the Czechoslovakian flag yeah. or the Croatian flag I should say but like you could have like I'm trying to think like Khabib could have an eagle on the side there and Shevchenko could have a bullet on the side just that sort of personality mm. and you still keep the whole sort of like black and yeah, that's a really good champion. idea. Yeah, they should definitely try and do that. I think they were trying to do that with that new set of Reebok gear that they were coming out with the specialized color designs and all that. But and I do like, I do like the not ti- really there. I do like the title fight fighters wearing their own personalized shirts. But again, yeah. those designs could have been a lot better than what they were. Yeah, it's just not quite there yet. Like, oh the- yeah, did you hear that? Um, Bellator, they're going to... Fight Sphere. Yeah. <laughs> Which just sounds like some sort of like cheap like B-movie on the sci-fi channel. It'd be like <laughs> robots competing against one another in the Fight Sphere. No, but I, I didn't they get a deal with um, Showtime again or something? I think so. I know the, they've had issues with DAZN. I don't think DAZN's broadcasting the next... Yeah. Yeah, I know they're, like, sort of a, a free agent when it comes to that. But I think they signed with, like, Showtime Boxing or something like that. I know it's definitely something Showtime-related. So, definitely excited about we'll, that. We'll know if Luke Thomas starts talking about it a lot more on Morning Combat. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. The Teep would be loving that, man. <laughs> he loves uh, Strikeforce. He does. <laughs> Well, I think with Teep, it's more it's more his issues with the UFC business wise. Yeah, yeah. Which I I, I understand. I think there's because there's a lot of aspects of the UFC I don't like. 
But again, it's people always compare the UFC as sort of like the WWE of mixed martial arts in terms of it being the sort of into some people's eyes the be all and end all of mixed martial arts. Yeah, and I, I can sort of see where they're coming from with that because. There's a lot of things that people don't like about the WWE, but people put up with it because it's mm-hmm. it's the only real game in town. Yeah. I think I just tweeted this out actually though. They started taking um, images of the um, they've started taking inspiration from the UFC because they've they've really started releasing some of their posters for their next pay per view. And it's exactly the same as Cormier versus Johnson. You know how you have that giant rumble in the background of DC? It's exactly <laughs> the same. Wow. <laughs> I've got Penn winning this third round. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah, it's still like... thing. Frankie looks like he's doing a lot, but he's not really being effective with it. Yeah. And BJ's got his timing on point here. Mm-hmm. I, obviously, you don't have the co- you you are here in the commentary when I can't. But uh, which way are sort of like uh, Goldberg and Rogan leaning towards? Well, I gotta kind of look because I gotta hear you perfectly. I gotta make sure I don't <laughs> miss I, you asking me a question or something. But I noticed you stopped yourself there. <laughs> when I hear you rabbiting on, shut up. <laughs> I'll pay attention. I'll see if they you do. are, you are, you're paying attention. But no, I've got BJ win, winning this one 2-1 uh, so far. Yeah, same here. And the thing was as well about this fight, Frankie Edgar, I mean, he'd had a couple of decent wins, but nothing that made you think this guy's a future champion. Because I know he got dominated by uh, Graham Maynard. And that was the big factor why they did uh, him versus Maynard 2 as the, um, his first title defense. Okay. Because, obviously, he was he was the only guy to beat Frankie Edgar up until that point. So, if mm-hmm. Frankie is as good as he thinks he is, he needs to avenge that loss. Which, mm-hmm. I would like to see a lot more fighters doing that. And again, maybe it's me, I'm sort of a, dare I say, a bit of a vengeful person, but... If I was someone like, say, Stipe, for example, it would annoy me that for all my achievements, for everything that I've done, all the big names I've beaten, the fact that people still bring up the Stefan Struve fight. Mm-hmm. So if Stipe just said, stuff it, I'm going to fight Struve next, I'm going to get that win back, you can't hold that against me. That'll be a pretty interesting build-up to a card. <laughs> I mean, there's no way it would ever happen, and I'm not saying it should happen. <laughs> but there must be part of Stipe that does think that. I think it must. Yeah, I feel like the only way that would happen is if he like went on like a silver s streak, and they were just pulling at strings to give him something. But yeah, yeah. that that would be very interesting to see. <laughs> I, do, I I remember there was a time, you know, when I think Struve had pulled something like three or four wins in a row. I think he got himself to number eight. Mm-hmm. And there were people saying, hey, if he beats Volkov, you could make an argument that Struve, because of that win, had an argument for, like, a, an outside argument to, to fight Stipe. Mm-hmm. There were people who genuinely thought that. You know, Stefan Struve's one of those guys, you know, I want him to be better than what he is. 
Because <laughs> he, he comes... Yeah, it's very frustrating to watch him. Yeah, because, I mean, he's got so many tools at his disposal. Like, obviously, his length, and he comes across like a nice bloke. Mm-hmm. Like, people people once asked him about the Stipe fight, and he said, Dude, what do you think of that, that you're the, you're the guy who beat Stipe? And he, he was honest, and he just said, look, that was a long time ago. A lot of things have changed since then. Comes across like a really nice dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quite shame what happened to him in his last fight. I think he has a lot of health issues as well. I think, I yeah. think he had a heart condition, which obviously can't help being that size. Yeah. Because I was watching a documentary, you know, a couple of um, weeks ago about Andre the Giant, the, the oh, pro yeah. wrestler, and they it's were mentioning interesting subject. They were mentioning a lot of the health issues he had because of his size later on in his life. Oh, okay. Like part of the reason why he started wearing the singlet was because his back was killing. He had to wear a back brace. Oh, and that's awful. Frankie's Frankie looking a little bit busier this time. Yeah. But again, you just... When you look at this fight, can you see Frankie Edgar finishing BJ Penn with this sort of fighting style? No. They said, this is a lighter man's fight right now, and the lighter man is doing very, very well. Oh, he's, he's, doing, he's doing well, considering what BJ was doing to people like Kenny Florian and Diego Sanchez. It is, it's, a good, it's a good performance from Frankie, but I don't, see, I don't see him beating BJ from what I'm seeing right now. It's, it's, strange. it's like funny watching this, you know, because like, obviously we know the fight result. We know how this plays out, so it's... <laughs> we're sort of... We know, so we sort of like... We're judging the fight, but at the same time, it's still new to us. Mm-hmm. Have you got any ideas for other events that we could cover at some point? Because... I would like to try and make this a bit more of a regular thing. Obviously, I know we've got... Um, mm-hmm. We've got workplace commitments and all that sort of thing, so it might be a bit harder. But um, I'd like the idea of covering some classic events, and it's a good way as well to sort of like ease off a couple of frustrations. And you know, mm-hmm. you've had a busy day at work or at college or whatever, and you just ramble on watching two men <laughs> beat each other up in a cage. I'm with you. I'd like to watch some non-UFC cards like sort of like for the production values or so like mm-hmm. I'd like to watch something from say Pride or Strike Force, even Elite XC yeah I've never sat through an Elite XC card ever <laughs> never seen a full card Gus Johnson is an acquired taste I think Gus Johnson is a fantastic basketball commentator <laughs> I don't think he works for combat sport but again, he was he was CBS's man. He was that sort of because the commentary team for that show, I believe it was it was uh, Gus Johnson, Mauro Ronaldo, and Frank Shamrock. So Mauro okay. and Frank were obviously doing their bit, being the MMA yeah. broadcasters, and Gus was that link to those sort of everyday fans who were tuning in for the first time. I don't know what this bizarre cage spot is, but 
There's Gus Johnson. I've heard his voice before. I know who he is. <laughs> a lot of companies do that. Uh, when ITV had the Formula One coverage, they put uh, Jim Rosenthal, who was their boxing commentator. So it was just like a familiar face to ITV viewers to try and welcome okay. him. So that's sort of bridge for a new sport. Yeah, they're saying it's a tough fight to score. They don't really know who's winning. <laughs> I would personally give it... Personally, I think BJ's winning this 3-1. I think he took that fourth round. It's not a classic fight. It's hard to call. Yeah. But it's not like... Sort of like a, it's not a five-star epic. Yeah. I tell you what, speaking of five-star epics, I might, I might be building this one up, though. Tell you what, Rose versus Whaley. If that fight happens in November, December time, mm-hmm. what a fight that could be. Man, I was surprised by... Uh, everybody's talking about Rose. I'm more surprised about Andrade. Andrade looked great. Good takedown yeah, from Frankie. definitely surprised a lot of people. Because there was a lot of, there was a lot of issues with Andrade's performance from the first fight... Mm. Her head movement, charging in, bull rushing a bit too much, and she closed those gaps, and she was a lot more competitive. Because mm-hmm. I, I think I said it on the show. I think I said that with the types of fighters coming through at strawweight, these sort of movement-based strikers, Andrade needs to close those holes, or everyone's going to find her out. I think she has. The mm-hmm. issue you've got with Andrade right now is. Who do you give her next? Because I don't think interest would be there in a Yuana V match because the first fight was so one-sided. Mm-hmm. And she's so much better. I mean, if you take away Ansaroff, because she's not going to be in action for a while, there's a big gulf between her and people like the Carla Esparzas, the Michelle Watersons of the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. maybe Marina Rodriguez, assuming she beats Carla. I think it'd be too early to put her against okay. Hebas. I know Hebas has a lot of hype behind her, but that would be a massive yeah, jump. Way too early for her. Tell you what, I, I don't have any issue at all with the Hebas hype. I think it's fantastic that we've got a female fighter yeah. who fans are really invested in. But I find it strange that the hype has started after beating Paige Van Zandt, who, who sort of had one foot out the door already. If yeah. there was a fight for people to get excited about her, I would have said it was Dern. I think the way she beat Mackenzie mm-hmm. Dern was yeah. so impressive. That's the fight that people should have said, this is our star. That's when I started watching her, was the Dern fight, because I was on the Dern train, and that was her That was her first loss. I'm still on the Dern train. I just think... Yeah, it's co- still going a little bit. The quality <laughs> of her jiu-jitsu is so good. Mm-hmm. Like that knee by finish against Cyphers, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, I still think the big Mac could be. She could make top ten. There's no shame in losing to Hebas. Yeah. Who would you give Hebas next then? Because I mean, I know a lot of people oh, are saying Tisha Torres, but I don't want I don't want Tisha to go through another killer. Yeah, that'll be rough for Tisha, but I. That's a good fight for Hebos. I think that's a good start for her. See, Frankie's starting to get a bit desperate with these takedowns now. Yeah. 
Mind you, Ricardo coming in there. Tell you what, the one thing you will say, Frankie Edgar's cardio has not slowed in this fight. He's still bouncing around. He's got this sort of, like, herky-jerky style about him. Like, I tell you what, a guy who was quite similar to that was mm -hmm. Keith Jardine. Okay. It's quite interesting. Joe Rogan is saying that Edgar's winning this fight. Joe Rogan says a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I think BJ. I think BJ. Um, I think you can give... You can definitely give Frankie one of the rounds. But no, I'm glad they did the rematch. Because mm -hmm. that just closed the holes in everyone's perception. Yeah. That definitely needed to happen. And do you remember what the call main was for that fight? Oh, man. You're going to love this one. No, I know. Randy Couture versus James Tony. Really? James Tony, oh, yeah, 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 the boxing great, was given a mixed martial arts fight and Couture absolutely embarrassed him. Uh, <laughs> great fight. Yes, well, for MMA fans, it was. <laughs> Like, why are people so fixated on the whole MMA versus boxing thing still? Because, I mean... You, oh, man. BJ caught him there. Say, I look at this, I... You can give Frankie one round. You can maybe give him two. I don't okay. see how you can give him more than that. But they're celebrating. They think he's won. Saying it's a lot more competitive than people thought it would be. A lot more sure. competitive. That's for sure. And you know what? Sometimes for me, those make the best fights. When you have... I wouldn't... When you have... Oh, man. That was a good shot. For me, the best fights are when you do have these underdog fighters who just put on the performance of their career and make it a fight. Because that's what made Jones versus Gus so good for me. Because nobody gave Gus a chance going into that fight. And he just put on this amazing performance. And he pushed this, what many people thought was this unstoppable fighter, all the way. The hell? Luke Thomas says that he's watched Volk versus Max 2 49 times. Yes, 49 times. And what's his, um, <laughs> what's his perception? That. He says, what I took away was not a scoring controversy, but that Max and Alex are grandmasters of their craft. This is MMA's highest level, and I feel like the story is being lost. Tell you what, Luke Thomas is an acquired taste. He does, he does come across like a little bit of a know-it-all, but do you know what? I think it's great that we have people like him covering the sport. Just reading the scores here. And it was unanimous, wasn't it, as well? Yeah, 49-46. See, when I see 49-46, I think... And new. Wow. First thing, BJ went try to shake his hand. Good to see. Look at Dana's face. What do you think Dana's thinking here? 
Because tell you what, there's sometimes you know where you could tell that Dana does not like the result. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite screenshot of Dana is when he put on the belt to uh, Woodley after the Maya fight. <laughs> Might have been after a Till fight, actually. The one that, <laughs> the one that sticks in my mind. I love the fact that Joe Silva is having to help Dana put the belt on. <laughs> um, the one that sticks in my mind was uh, Stipe vs. Francis. Yeah. <laughs> We're about to see another one coming up. What do you think? Um, you think Stipe wants um, not Stipe? You think um, Dana wants um, DC to win that? Well, I was thinking about this main event, this car. Oh, like... yes, yes. Well, he wasn't there for this one. He was so upset with the way Anderson performed. He just said, hey, here's your belt. You put it on. <laughs> he was that annoyed. Wow. No, I think... I don't personally agree with that result. I thought BJ won that one. Um, I would have maybe gone 49-46, yeah. but... Um, glad they did the rematch and glad Frankie got that proper win and the rest is history yeah I always find it strange you know and again it goes back to what I was saying about the whole Stipe versus Strew thing when you look at a guy like Anderson Silva who is in my opinion one of the best to ever do it again it depends on what you think of like fighters and what you think of fighters who take steroids but then you see those four losses and there are going to be people out there. Maybe it's the boxer. Maybe it's like the boxing fan. But they do think to themselves, really? Well, he's got four <laughs> losses. I mean, I'm right in saying that one of the people that Anderson lost to was Takasi, who I think had a mm -hmm. losing record at the time. Dam Damian Meyer did not look happy in that main event poster there. He just looked really pissed off that he had to be there just get it over with you're saying one upset already happened another one might come up next Joe very few people gave Edgar a chance and he just went on a tremendous performance oh, he's blown it, away again it, it surprised a lot of people how good Frankie Edgar performed in that fight because a lot of people expected him to get harmed and maybe that's one of the things that sort of swayed the judges because it, yeah. it wasn't just a good performance. It was a good performance against BJ Penn. It's like how a lot of people scored Jones versus Gus for Gus because of how good he looked against John Jones. Like, I think, um, for me, though, and I still say this, and I've argued it ever since February, Dominic Rios won that fight. Dominic Rios mm -hmm. won the first three rounds. And, yeah, I think, definitely. and I think John Jones knows that Dominic Rias won those first three rounds. Mm -hmm. You know what? We've been talking so much about this fight card and loads of other random stuff. What's your opinion on uh, this Saturday's fight card? Let's just take a look at it. I was, <laughs> to be honest, I didn't even know Calvin Gaslam was fighting until like this week. <laughs> that fight's been so overlooked. Yeah, yeah, that's a great fight. Hermanson versus Gaslam, very excited for that. But I'm very excited for the main event. I feel like we're starting to get 
a little bit more attention towards the flyweights. I feel like not the flyweights in general, just the title picture. I feel like it's getting a little bit more interesting with Figueredo in the mix. I think that and... I think Figueredo especially. I a lot of people have been saying, well, who's the sort of fighter to get people invested in in the flyweight division? I think Davison is the type of guy that can do that. Mm-hmm. Definitely to a casual audience, I feel like Figueredo is the guy that can do it. He's got those heavy hands. And Manel, he's coming into the flyweights as well. You're big enough up really highly. I hope he does deliver. I hope he's... Like, I'm just looking through the card here. So, here's our main card. So, we've got Figueredo, Benavidez, um, Hermeson and Gastelum. Uh, Mark Diakazi is fighting Rafael Fizaev. Ariane mm-hmm. Lipsky versus Luana Carolina, so I know where the uh, the dads will be paying their attention. <laughs> um, good fight as well, Flyweight, Pantoja versus Askarov. Askarov's looked very good recently. Got Joseph Duffy, prelims. Now oh, yeah, you got Sergey uh, Spivak opening up the card on the prelims. Tell you what, that's a fight there. Davi Hamosh and Armin, Armin Sarukian. Because mm-hmm. uh, Sarukian was the guy who gave uh, Makachev all the problems in the Moscow card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is going to be a long fight, so. <laughs> Tell I, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'll be right back. Yeah. Got to make sure I don't don't have to dip in the middle of the fight. I'll try and just um, try and keep people entertained during this little segment here. So, light heavyweight division opening uh, the main event of the prelims, I should say. Um, Kadis Ibragimov is taking on Roma Dolitsa. Uh, we've got a catchweight fight of 150 pounds as Grant Dawson takes on Nad Naramani. Joe Duffy takes on Joel Alvarez. Joe Duffy, of course, best known for submitting Conor McGregor and Cage Warriors. This will be a good fight. Brett Johns is taking on Montel Jackson. I um, I rate Brett Johns quite highly. I think he was pushed a little bit too early for his own good. Hell of a grappler, though. And if you watch the fight with Tony Gravely, very underrated. Malcolm Gordon is taking on Amir Albazi. That's in the flyweight division as well. Davi Hamosh against Ahmed Sarukian. And opening up the heavyweights, Sergei Spivak and Carlos Felipe. So, personally, there's a couple of fights which I'm, I'm intrigued by. Similar sort of level of quality, in my opinion, to the one we had between Keita and Ige. Main events, I think, is more interesting. Obviously, the title fight plays a big part in that. I personally think I'm favouring Davison for this one. I've favoured him for the first fight as well. I just think Benavidez, I wouldn't say he's past his prime, but he's very reliant on speed. And I think Davison just has that one-shot power to cause him problems. That being said, though, I think Davison as flyweight champion could be that sort of... I wouldn't say he's going to be the superstar that's going to make people pay attention to the flyweight division... But, he's going to intrigue people. He's what the UFC need from a champion in that division especially. Mm-hmm. Man, if I could describe you, Manel Cape's style, it's very similar to what Figueredo does. It's got extremely heavy hands. Power is very similar to Figueredo. It's almost identical. And he's got the sort of larger-than-life personality to go with it as well. Oh, yeah. Because we do, okay. the thing with Davison is we don't really know what he's like, yeah. As a as a personality, obviously he's he's Brazilian. He doesn't speak the best English, so 
we're not going to be seeing Good him on. There. We're not going to be seeing him on like Corning or anything like that. Yeah. But Manel, he he speaks fluid English. He spoke a little bit of Japanese, but he's Angolan. Trains out of African AKA market. Thailand. African market. That'll be a big selling yeah. point as well. Tell what Africa's knocking okay. it out the park, aren't they? Mm, like Usman's yeah. a champion, Francis, um, Adesanya's from Nigeria originally, so... It's perfect, man. All the stars are aligning. Thing is, you can't really do like a, an African fight night. You can't do a pay-per-view. Just just because yeah. the, the structure's not in place for it. Mind you, they did the rumble yeah. in Zaire, so it can be done. Yeah, it would have to definitely take some time. I don't think they could set up like an arena in a month or something. I'm surprised, you know, the UFC aren't looking to try and do something in New Zealand. Yeah. Because obviously New Zealand has started opening things up now. Um, I think they had about 20,000 people for a um, for a soccer game. Okay. So, I mean, that's, awesome. there's, a place for, there's a place to do your events. I mean, if you got... Obviously, it won't be happening for a long time, but like Volkanovski headlining against... Zabit or Zombie in New Zealand yeah. with a crowd in attendance. Perfect sense. Yeah, that'll be huge. Like I was saying before, who do you think's going to be? Who do you think's going to be headlining our next pay per views? So we got. I mean, we got August set up, but what are you thinking about for the rest of the year? I'm thinking probably a Valentina, maybe. Yeah, I don't. I don't see Valentina headlining. Fight yeah, card. She's yeah be I'm just thinking in. of titles. I'm just thinking of titles. Like who's gonna be up there giving up their title? Uh, I think it'll be. I think her versus George will happen. I think yeah. because that fight was booked. I think Dana will keep the promise because mm. it's not as if there's a massive contender waiting in the rings to take that away from George. Yeah. I think they'll do Calvillo versus Lauren Murphy for the next title shot. Yeah, it seems like they're sort of putting more hype back into Calvio again. They want Calvio. I mean, Dana thinks really yeah. highly of her. I'm not... Yeah. I think she's good, but I don't think she's as good as what Dana believes she is. Because I remember when... I do feel that Carla fight, that was a robbery, in my opinion. I think Carla won it. I think... I mean, Carla... At the time, Carla Esparza her... outstruck Cynthia Calvio. Oh, okay. And I mean... Okay. <laughs> And I mean, all credit to Carla Esparza, but striking's not her fault here. Yeah. You know what? She's a girl, you know, who I feel gets a bit of a bad rap. Because it's very similar. It's sort of like a lesser version of what happened to Aldo. Because we've mm. got... Carla, for me, is like a solid top 10 fighter who can give any young prospect a world of problems. But because people remember the Joanna fight and remember uh, like a, a braids flying around all over the place... She's always treated as a little bit of a joke, when I think she's a lot better than that. She's not elite, but she's she's good. She's solid. Mm-hmm. But no, like, I think Calvillo would beat Lauren Murphy. That being said, though, Lauren's boxing is. I think Lauren's oh, boxing wow, is. She, it's a lot better, a lot better than people give it credit for. I mean, could you imagine if There's... could you imagine if Lauren Murphy fought for a UFC title? <laughs> not not in a derogatory way, but that story, like this thirty-six-year-old mother who took up MMA to get over a drug problem, and then works away into becoming the number one contender 
That's a great story. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. You know what, mind you? I think that it's not going to happen overnight. I think the... I think that the ingredients are there for women's flyweight to start finding a little bit of momentum. Because I looked at um, Talia Santos um, against Molly McCann last night. I thought she looked really good. And then when you look Mm -hmm. at Agapova, who is scary. Imagine those type of girls making their way up the rankings. It could get very interesting very quickly. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. The Octagon. Because this is... This is... This is a very intriguing fight. Now, I've been reading a lot of the backstory as to why Anderson behaved the way he did. And <laughs> a lot of it stems from like the rivalries in Brazil. Because Brazil's a very passionate okay. nation. Yeah. They take a lot of things to heart. And I think there was... I believe there was a grudge between Maya's training camp and Anderson's. Sort of, sort of a class-based thing. Like... Again, I might be paraphrasing, I might be getting a few things wrong, so I do apologise. But the impression I always got was the Brazilian fighters who were more striking-based was for okay. some, for so, were from sort of working-class roots, and jiu-jitsu was seen as a an elitist sport. So Anderson, being sort of like representing the working classes against the higher-class Maya, was sort of like a using the opportunity to mock him. They sort of say, ah, stuff you with your jiu-jitsu, you big snob. It, it just bent the fight mocking him for that reason. Okay. Apparently this was going to be Vito. Vito had to pull out for really? injury and Maya was the short notice for placement. Tell you what, it's weird seeing how young Damien Maya looked back then. He's sort of like this grizzled veteran now. How do you think the world's going to look back on Damien Meyer? Like, do you, do you see him being in the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. I feel like um, Dana's looking more like for the Donald Cerrone's. The, the company men. Stephen Bonner's, yeah, the company men. Well, Matt Sir is in there, which should say a lot. <laughs> Tell you what, that's going to be the new benchmark, isn't it? That, like, if he got into the Hall of Fame, anyone can. Except Frank Shamrock. No, Frank will never get there. Bit of double bowing there. I thought we were going to have, like, a Kutalaba and Kalayev situation. <laughs> but no, most people, most people saw that this was going to be a, a mismatch. All right, let's see what happens. Like, if you were... <laughs> if you were, like, broadcasting, you know. Like, we, as I said, we've done a couple of preview shows, that sort of thing. Do you call the spade a spade? Do you just say this is going to be a mismatch? Or do you try and hyper-fight? Like, if no. you go in here, do you just say... <laughs> do you just say there's no point in building up this fight, Damian Meyer's going to get his ass whipped? Or do you just say, well, he's got the jiu-jitsu and... Anderson just might be a bit too complacent, that sort of thing. What I would do is I would just approach it like, um, I would just approach it as, uh, what are Maya's strengths? Yeah, that's the way I would say it as well. He could win. That's the best way I would say it. But other than that, I'd say, no, Anderson would probably win this. 
I would look at it and considering say, the state that the division was in at this point. Middleweight, yes. Middleweight struggled for a long time. Yeah. Really, it, it was the because uh, I'm thinking about some of the people that Anderson beat you in his defenses, and I mean I love Anderson Silva, but mm. Patrick Cote, Talis Latus, Travis Luter, Okami. They pulled out Okami. Okami, because of that fight at Rumble in the Vox, yeah. where, like, you can see and Anderson just knows he's much better than this guy. He's not even trying. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it, I mean. How about I, that for your first strike? <laughs> like, proper Rabona. Tell you what, there was one guy on the uh, fight card last night. He was throwing chuckloads of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like going with his right foot forward and then swinging with his left. Like round the back. <laughs> like in uh, soccer, we call that a rebona. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of this happening. It's wicked. Well, yeah, speaking of last night, uh, Calvin Cater's Dan Ige, that was great. Good fight. Really good fight. Um, yeah. Ige and Hooker are becoming uh, undisputed chin champions. Like they got tough chins, man. We're seeing a lot of chins on display lately. Nobody's beaten my queen Felicia in terms of great chins. <laughs> yeah, Felicia right there. Another one that has a great chin. Seeing a lot of those lately. We are. Um, and again, it's a lot of it's to do with conditioning. And the thing is, a lot of these fighters as well. They. they... <laughs> Anderson might what not... is this Joe Rogan is saying? <laughs> this is just confidence crushing clowning. It is. It is. And Anderson was the best of that. He did feel like he was on a completely different level to everyone yeah. else at this point. And he knew it. Like he's just doing the whole wobbly head thing there. I think Frank Mir described it the best when he described uh, Fedor in his prime. He he was training twenty four seven. He was doing this full time while most people were just working other jobs in between this. Like yes. they wouldn't have full training camps like that. They were pretty much breeding him to be like the perfect fighter. Like so that's pretty much the same thing that is happening with Silva. That's one thing I that's one thing I agree with right now. I think the amount of fighters who are doing this around around sort of nine to five jobs are getting much less than they are. We we have mm. we've got mixed martial artists. We haven't got people who do it in their spare time. I mean, there's guys out there. I mean, Stevie obviously does his stuff with the fire service. I think Jermaine Durandam is a policewoman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. Dutch police. Yeah. You know, if there's one person you know, I would love to meet and hang out with more than anyone else. It's Jermaine, because that. Yeah, I'd, I've, I'd love to get arrested by her. From what I've heard, she's a <laughs> she's really she's a real character behind the scenes, like a proper party girl. Let's <laughs> <And laughs> go. Anderson's out here? just having so much fun out there. Oh my! There we go. Vicious. Oh, vicious he caught him in the head. And you know, yeah, I we think we probably do timestamps. I think we're a little ahead yes, of each other. Yes, uh, forty-seven, forty-six, forty-five. 44, 43. Tell you what, I think that was the thing that annoyed Dana White more than anything, was that even though there was this mismatch, Anderson just didn't take it seriously. Anderson yeah. could have finished his fight in the first two rounds if he wanted to, but he wanted to make a mockery of Dana. 
uh, of Damien Meyer. <laughs> I'm just standing there. Definitely did make a mockery of him, that's for sure. And of course, when you bank this show as being such an important one, <laughs> he's doing a guitar! Have you seen that gif where somebody like photoshopped a guitar there? Yes, I've seen that one. One of my favourite... My favourite MMA gif was when uh, they photoshopped Arlovsky as a pimp against Travis. <laughs> So like when Arlovsky does that backflip, back fist, and Travis like gets rocked by it and goes down, but it did up Arlovsky as a pimp, and like the captions, "Where's my money, bitch?" <laughs> I like the Brett Rogers versus Fedor. Yes, his head flying off. Decapitation! Holy crap, that's perfect. I've been looking up a lot of Fedor clips for one of my um, upcoming videos. I won't give too much away about it, but I am too. <laughs> You haven't stolen my idea, have you? Depressing moments too? I hope not. <laughs> no, I haven't chosen that one, no. Um, I like to try and keep some of my ideas a bit secret, but um, that's one of them I've got. It's um, sort of a semi-follow-on to a video I did earlier this year. A very similar sort of theme. I won't give too much away about that. Um, so that's one of the ideas I've got. Um, I'm also thinking about looking at... Um, Somebody who's involved in mixed martial arts, but not as a fighter. So he's going to be a big focus of that. Okay. Um, you might know it. A oh, lot of people know. knows about this. I was literally about to blurt it out, but I was like, yes. That's not very <laughs> I like him, a lot of people don't want to put it that way. I mean, look at, my, look at Anderson, just so lazy in there. Oh, man. Like, you would never see this nowadays. No. And a UFC title fight, it would be an overhand. He'd be out. But no, he just, he just down. knows he's so... Him. But did he just do a hip thrust there? <laughs> Joe just said, come on, man. This is seen the movie. Yes. Just that sort Not of, like, hands down. Not what I want the co-star in. <laughs> just hands down, lazy, just... He just knows Maya's got nothing for him. It, it must be so demoralizing for Damian Maya as well. Yeah, they just said this is just a so showcase of Anderson's talent. We're just waiting. That's all we gotta do is just wait. <laughs> like, they literally don't know what to say. They're just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what. That's like Eddie from Street Fighter, Man, wasn't it? Come on. <laughs> Tekken, I should say. I'm sure Eddie did the same thing in Tekken. The sort of like dancing on the spot capoeira yeah. stuff. Oh, there we go. Stuff the media. And this is bad already. Yeah. <laughs> but again. Anderson could be a lot more aggressive in this fight. He, he's doing it yeah. to try and mock him, which is not good. Very similar to Maya versus Woodley. I wouldn't Except not as much dancing. No, no, because <laughs> Anderson was at least trying to make a show of it. But yeah, thing, Woodley I, was just stalling. I don't fault Tyron Woodley's performance. Your job is to try and avoid the takedowns against Damian Maya, and he did that. <laughs> 
now he's trash talking them. But you can see the crowd. The crowd uh, aren't enjoying it now. There's a lot of people up yeah. there just starting to get a bit agitated. <laughs> Come on, throw down. Hit me. Hit me. <laughs> you see one of the Fertitas in the background there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Like, what must you be doing if you're Damien Meyer right now? <laughs> <laughs> Damn Mergliata telling him, let's go, let's go. If I was Damien Meyer, oh, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> go for the takedown, takedown, takedown. And at least try and implement a game plan. But Meyer's entire take uh, striking style is built around his takedowns. I mean, even yeah. though he's a much better striker now than he was back then, the strikes he does throw are done to set up these takedowns. So, Joe Rogan saying he's never seen anything like this. And then Adesanya came along. Mike Goldberg said, not just, not just supernatural in his talent, but tonight's performance is just crazy. <laughs> Makes no sense. It does. Anderson knows what he's doing. He, he's... he's He's doing it to try and make an example. He's there to say, I am... Okay, now they're booing. Now there's boos coming down. I'm too good for this division. I'm too good for this level of competition. I think I read somewhere oh. that part of the reason that Dana gave Chael Sonnen <laughs> the next title shot was purely because of this fight, because he knew that Chael had the best, oh, ch yeah. best chance of beating Anderson. The crowd was laughing after Anderson pointed after that kick. <laughs> like this is trying to make it into a stand-up show now. Yeah, this this has got to be terrifying for Damian Maya though. Holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just screaming at him. I'm annoyed, but at the same time, I'm amused. Oh. See, if we had, say, a round and a half of this, and then Anderson gets it finished, the finish, I should, I should say, I don't think anybody has an issue. But yeah. because Anderson chose to drag it out for five rounds, it, it left the sour taste in people's mouths. Because people would have been looking at that the same way they look at the Forrest Griffin knockout. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because again, Anderson just had no respect for Forrest's stand-up ability. But because it ended yeah, it was in the pretty much like this, except if he went in and actually threw some stuff. Exactly. Took it seriously. He's not even breathing heavy. But like I was saying before, like someone posted this comment and he said, "Who are guys that you would like to see in the Hall of Fame that might not?" necessarily get there and I put forward three Damian Meyer Misha Tate oh, man. and Chad Mendes okay not necessarily not necessarily locks but people who you think should be there okay what about for yourself um Your list is pretty much exactly what I would say to be honest. 
pretty darn close. I mean, Chad Mendes was a hell of a fighter, but nobody yeah. ever, nobody ever brings him up when they're talking about great featherweights. Mm-hmm. Like in my opinion, I'd personally say that if you were looking at sort of the best featherweights of all time, it's like Aldo, Holloway, McGregor, Mendes. You know what, I was thinking about doing that as a segment, you know? Like, taking two fighters who are seen as sort of similar levels, like equals, and then weighing them up, like weighing up their fighters in comparison, and then seeing who is the better between the two based off different criteria. I think Aldo versus Holloway would be a good argument. Like, who is the better between their two in terms of the quality of the opposition, in terms of uh, their the difficulty of getting the title, the, the title vein itself. In my opinion, I think Aldo's better than Holloway. Really? I do. I think that, I think Max has beaten better people, but I think I place a lot more weight on Aldo's reign and how comfortable mm-hmm. he was as champion. I mean, he was, mm-hmm. he was unbeaten for 10 years. Like he was, like he beat Mike Brown in the WEC to become their champion, and held it mm-hmm. from like what UFC one thirteen to UFC one ninety four. That's incredible. Yeah. It's actually insane. <laughs> I'm sure. Ever since so long and lean. I'm sure that and Myers you can see. I was going to say that you can see it on Myers' nose. They're booing, boo. Yes, I know what booing sounds like. I'm a Newcastle fan, we've heard it a lot. <laughs> what about on your end? Is Canadian sports started getting back up and running yet? No, I don't really think so. I don't think so. Maybe outside of the main Ontario area, I think maybe, but... Actually, that's a good point, though. Nothing cause... in Toronto. Look at this. He's so fast. Because that's a big thing as well, because like, with the Canadians, your big thing's uh, hockey, isn't it? So yeah. that's, that's like an indoor sport, and that's like very confined spaces, so I can sort of understand Yeah, I what... think NHL is, is starting up again soon. I think it is. That's fantastic news. I will say I haven't missed the crowds as much as what I thought I would. Maybe it's because I watched the Contender series, so I'm sort of used to that sort of setup. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't bother me as much as... I mean, I would like the crowds to be there. But it's not... Yeah, I think for the pay-per-views, it's yes. sort of a bit jarring. Seeing, like, huge stars just in an octagon. <laughs> seeing Mazadol versus Usman just in a plain octagon with nobody really around it was sort of surreal. Same with Nganu versus Rosenstruck. Yes, I thought that, that was, was extremely surreal. surreal. Because like all that you knock heard was, was that. so quick, like, and then nothing happened. There was no crowd reaction or anything. That was probably the most jarring fight since the lockdown. Tell you what, it's strange with Francis, you know, because we want to see Francis have another shot at the title. Because you look at what he's been doing, he, he more than warrants it. But mm. I haven't seen anything different from him. To make you think he's gonna he's gonna beat Stipe again. 
Exactly. Nobody's been able to test them. It's <laughs> literally nobody's been able to even get close. Because we survived that long. I think Damien might have just landed a shot there. I, I... He's wincing now, though. Yeah. Oh. From what I seem to remember, I do remember Damien Meyer getting really aggressive in the fifth Ooh. round. Like, just sort of like, I just have to go for something. It's it's sad. It, it, it's not... From Damien Meyer's perspective, it's, it's not very nice what Anderson's doing here. This is rough to watch. <laughs> Trying to hide behind Dan Miragliotta. <laughs> but no, it's like... And if anything... It's looking at the camera, like... Like, you can make an argument with the Curtis Blades fight that Francis was maybe a bit lighter on his feet. He lost a lot of the muscle bulk, so he, he did look a bit better there. But it's almost like after that fight, he's just gone back to what made Francis so scary in the first place. Just wild, big mm -hmm. overhands, and if he touches you, you're done for. Like, there was what no do you expect him to do? Like, he can't really... I don't expect him to start going ground game. No. Like, he went ground game that, like, his second fight, only because he wanted to try it, really wanted to try that. <laughs> Against, who was that against? Anthony, Anthony Hamilton. Hamilton. And I think I'm right in saying that he'd only just been told what a Kimura was in the dressing room. <laughs> yeah, and he said that he wanted to try it. <laughs> that was the only time I've ever seen him go to the ground. Well, apart, from, apart from Steve, Steve Bay, I was so, I meant voluntarily to the ground. <laughs> he is an interesting situation. A lot of people haven't put this forward. A lot of people are putting forward the idea of Stipe versus Francis, regardless of what the result is. Because either Stipe wins and Francis fights him next, or DC wins, vacates the belt, and they do Stipe versus Francis anyway. Yeah. What yeah, happens if Stipe wins and then retires? Because I've heard yeah. a lot of people say that Stipe's eye isn't great. Mm-hmm. So what do yeah, you do? I think it would be... you, you can't really do Curtis Blades again because he lost the first yeah. two times. So the next option is what? The Derek Lewis Alexia Linick winner? <laughs> like Derek Lewis would have three wins in a row and a win over Francis. So you can make an argument that Derek Lewis would have a right to yeah. facing Francis. <laughs> and then you're going to have to try and sell one of the worst fights of all time to the audience. Man, I don't know. I, I think Stipe retiring isn't out of the question at all. I think, you know, he's I'm not saying he's an old guy, but he, he's definitely reaching, like, he doesn't have, like, five more years in the tank, I feel like. Like, I don't think, no. I don't think he'll be around in, like, 2025 or 2026. Like, I, I don't know. And the other factor as well is what would Stipe have to prove? Because if you yeah, get that second, exactly if you get that second win over DC, the only other thing would be a second Francis fight, and then there's not much else that he could do. Yeah. Yeah, really. I feel like if he won, if he beat DC, if I was in his shoes, I'd probably retire right there. To be honest, if he beat him the third time. Yeah, and I think he will. I mean, I'm not going to give away too much of my yeah. points on the preview show, but I've backed Stipe every time these two have fought, and there's nothing from those first two fights that make me think that DC is going to get the upper hand. I mean, Stipe, I mean, DC was winning the second fight, but 
this is a 41 year old DC now and I just yeah. think that time has just started to claw, catch up with him because it, it, that happens to some fighters some fighters can look great and then just all of a sudden they just jump off a cliff before you know it they get old overnight mm-hmm. oh, I, they're booing hard right now oh like again Anderson could be a lot more aggressive Anderson could be doing yeah. what he can to try and win this fight like he's busted him up like you know in some ways this is like if we compare it to say Masvidal versus Usman like another controversial main event in Abu Dhabi dare I say this is worse because Usman was <laughs> yes. doing Usman was fighting that way yes to neutralize his opponent Anderson is fighting this way to to mock him and I almost feel like he's sort of mocking the fans a little yes. bit I mean, the first two rounds, it wasn't too bad because there was an element of show about it. <laughs> no, I would be annoyed by Anderson at this point, and I do love Anderson. Now, would you say this is worse than Izzy versus Romero? Again, I would say yes. Because, again, Adesanya was doing was fighting that way out of fear of Romero. I mean, you've got to try and... You've always got to be wary of UL's explosiveness. So I understand Izzy being a bit more cautious. And again, in this situation, I think Anderson could be dominating this fight. He could be finishing it much earlier. And he's choosing to fight like this. To mock his opponent. I don't think there's going to be any issue with Paulo Costa, though. I think Costa is definitely going to take it to Izzy. Who have you got in that fight? I got Izzy. I have as well. I think Costa is aggressive, but I can see him being countered. I mean, Uriah Hall countered Mm -hmm. him. Uriah Hall dropped him in that fight. A lot of people forget that. Mm -hmm. And I can see Izzy catching him as he comes in. Do you know what? One of my proudest predictions that I've made doing these preview shows, you know, was when I picked Costa to be Romero. Nobody else thought that, but I just said, <laughs> he's just going to swarm him, and you're all just not going to like that pressure. There's ever a time to attack. It's a now. Yeah, it has been for the past, chanting. It has been for the past twenty minutes. <laughs> Joe just said this is the type of stuff that drives Dana White nuts. Yes. <laughs> like did you, you know how Dana has just got redder and redder as years have gone by? I mean most of it came from this fight. <laughs> Tell you what, he must have such a stressful job, you know. He's got like 600 prima donnas that he's all got to try and manage in one go. Oh, yeah. Tell you, what, it might not, tell you what, it might not look like Anderson's doing much, you know, but you look at Damian Meyer's face there. He is busted up. Joe just said that Dana looked over at Silva's manager and he looks very upset. Dana looks very upset. <laughs> Like, what's your opinion on Dana White as a as a president? How would you compare him to someone like Scott Corker? 
I don't want to say he's the greatest president ever, but I, I think he's smart in terms of getting the product out there. He's, he, always, he, does, quantity. he does put product before fighter, which, yeah. depending on which way you look at it, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. If you're somebody who argues for fighter pay, then it's the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. Scott Corker is a lot more... He's a lot more of a people person. He knows yeah. how to... He knows how to handle his fighters. He knows how to get the best out of them from a bit from a business mm-hmm. perspective. Because Rory McDonald, he definitely got his mileage on Rory. Yes. Because I mean, made him champion, and then they had the Lima. So they definitely got some mileage out of Rory. I tell you what, you. The the one that always sticks in my mind was a quote that Chris made after she signed with Bellator. And obviously, mm-hmm. she's going to say this, obviously, with it being a new company. She said, she said, with Dana White, I had a boss. With Scott, I have a business partner. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the best way to look at it. But the other thing that Scott Corker does very well is he'll analyze the product he has, the fighter, and he will he will know how to get the best out of them. Mm-hmm. So he saw he had Fedor, so he gave Fedor the matches that would still get some value out of him. And then you could argue, yeah, yeah, Fedor isn't the fighter he was, but on the whole, his Bellator run has been a success. Yeah. And it's the same thing with people like... Oh, man. See, my, this is where Maya gets really aggressive, and you can hear the crowd start popping. Yeah, the crowd is... They're really oh, getting behind Damian Maya right now. Tell you what, there's a lot of people that don't like... Got him again. Tell you what, there's a lot of people who don't like Damian Maia fights. I love the guy. Because it's just something so different. Bless him. And here we go. And then you look at that with... I mean, MVP gets a lot of grief. He gets a lot of ridicule for his level of competition, which I do understand because it's too low. But Scott Corker realized, hey, we've got this... We've got this knockout artist who loves being spectacular. Let's give him guys which can showcase that. And despite maybe not being the best fighter in Bellator, MVP's one of the most popular because of the way that Corker's mm-hmm. built him. Same with AJ McKee. Yeah. Now, there's a guy I'd love to see in the UFC, though. I think McKee is a fantastic featherweight. And the crowd has officially died down. Yeah, that was his moment. Like, can you remember when Anthony Smith fought John Jones? And, like, at the start of uh, the fifth round, he just he tried to empty the cardio tank, just thought, like, I'll just give it a go. And then just by the end of the, the minute, he was like, eh, I gave it a go. I tried. <laughs> you know, that card still did 600,000 buys. Wow. That's how big oh, of a draw John Jones still is. Are you the sort of fan who gets fixated with pay-per-view numbers? I think it's very interesting to look at, but I don't think it's a deal-breaker for me. But I, I think it's definitely an interesting subject. Especially when you look at cards like... Uh, Big pay-per-views like 250 that like 
extremely lacked in pay-per-view buys. I find that very interesting. I do as well. Um, I think especially from, from my own perspective because Dana has been very critical of fighters before for not being draws. I mean, he savaged Mighty Mouse for it because of his lack of drawing power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some fighters he'll he'll do that for and some fighters which he won't. Um, but no, I, I, like I said before, I think if you had every... I want the sport to be as big as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. So if we have every pay-per-view being this mega show with thousands of people wanting to tune in to get new fans into the product, I think that's a good thing. Oh, damn Mergliata. I love how Dan is just taking Timidity. it until the final round, the final minute of yeah, the, final the final round, round to warn like... Anderson Silva. <laughs> I looked it up, the buy rate for this was half a million. Half a million people. And imagine if those half a million, this was their first UFC show and they oh watched this kind of performance. Well, the next card, the one that my brother went to, it got uh, 520,000, so just 20,000 more. That was Shogun versus Machida. Yeah, the rematch. Yeah, well, that surprised me. That, that yeah, that was it... the one where Shogun knocked him out. No, I'm just saying the amount of people buying that show, because I never knew Machida or Shogun to be massive draws. Mm, it might have to have been, because uh, Kimbo was on that as well. Ah, there you go. Good point. That's a really good point. Though. He was on the main card against Mitrion. Yeah, they're booing harder. The one that always stuck in my mind, like in terms of like surprisingly big draws, was the one after that, which was uh, Rampage versus Rashad. Yeah, well that that did that over a million buys. Yeah, well that must have been because of the the show. Top ten. Top. Yeah. But the fight itself was awful. Yeah, that happened on my birthday, May 29, thousand ten. You would have been a young whippersnapper then. Yeah, I had no idea this fight was happening. <laughs> I can tell you that. I don't remember that on my birthday. Nogueira got a decision win on that card. Uh, that was the Jason Brills fight, was it? What was yeah. That? Yeah. Brills won that fight. I, I covered that in the uh, Upsets and Nearly Happened video. Oh, okay. Oh, look at his eye. Did you see that shot there, Damien Meyer's eye? That was bad. Did you see Rose at 251? Yeah, that was bad. That's what I was saying. Like, Andrade surprised me because... Do you think the Doctor would have stopped that fight? If that was five rounds, do you think the Doctor would have stopped that fight because of Rose's eye? Like, they didn't even bother. Even Dan was annoyed there. Didn't even bother. I didn't even realize that was the third round. I said, this fight's going to get stopped after this, guys. Because I was was with a bunch of friends watching that. I was like, this is going to get stopped. And then I realized it was the end of the fight. So, yeah, I definitely would have seen that getting stopped. Yeah, you're going to have to tell me here what um, Anderson says during Joe's interview. Because Joe's going to be giving him hell. You had a masterful performance for the first two rounds. And then it seemed like something in the third round, you just decided to coast and clown. Is there a reason for that? And have you tried DMT? (laughs) What's he saying here? It's in Portuguese. He's probably going to have to translate. Yeah, I'm afraid my uh, Portuguese isn't the best, I'm afraid. 
My English isn't great either. Oh yeah, this is definitely outside. I just saw a bug fly by the camera. He said, you know, Damon actually surprised me with some of his punches, and I apologize to everybody. I don't know what got into me tonight. I wasn't as humble as I should have been. And it was just the ring rust and everything. I'm sorry to all you guys. I don't know what got into me, but I guarantee next time it won't happen. No, he had Chilson and Lane on, over the top of him for 24 and a half <laughs> minutes. But no, the story I've always heard was that um, part of the reason that Dana put together this fight, uh, Sonnen versus Silver, was purely because he wanted Anderson to lose at that point, and he knew that Chill had the best chance of doing it. Tell you what, I'd be I really disappointed if I bought that. <laughs> so would I. So would I. Munoz um, fight was like the best fight on that guy. That was a hell of a fight. And tell you what, I like the um, I like the finish between Etim and Ardia. Um, yeah. But no, Munoz versus Grove. That's, that's such an underrated fight. But no, imagine if this was the first time you ever watched a UFC pay-per-view and Anderson puts in that kind of performance. You would feel cheated. Oh, yeah. That being said, it was an experience. It was... Yeah. I think something that you sort of have to go through just for the historic nature of it, because you hear mm -hmm. all these stories about what happened in that fight, that you sort of need to know for yourself the full details. Yeah. It's the first time I ever watched that Edgar fight. I thought BJ won it. Yeah, I definitely thought BJ won that. That's it. I enjoyed the sh tell you what, I enjoyed the show. A really good experience, and thank you for picking this one out. So, anybody who thinks that going to Abu Dhabi um, requires a boring fight, means a boring fight and controversial comment. Um, it's happened a long time before 2020. <laughs> I tell you what, though, it is getting really late around my end, so we're going to have to call this one a night. Um, Claire, thank you very much for choosing this card. Um, I tell you what, I'll let you choose the one after this as well. We might go a, bit, a little bit old school, All a, little right. bit, a little bit eclectic. All right. Sounds like a good plan. Um, I want to say a big thank you to anybody who has put up with us, uh, rabbiting on for about two and a half mm -hmm. hours. Um, I'll get this uploaded. Uh, we hope that you join in. Uh, stay tuned to INC Radio. We'll be maybe going back to a normal setup for our next show. Goodness knows when that will be. Uh, until next time, though, I've been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Clay Richardson. Pleasure to be here. You've been listening to the INC. Thank you very much. Bye-bye for now.